Lord said, no, there's a flood coming. The Lord said, no, there's a flood coming. He said, I'll judge the world with the raging storm. No, we'll build you an ark that's strong. He had no fear when the rains came. He had no fear when the rains came. The rains came. He gathered the fowl, the cattle, and the beasts, and he built him an ark that was strong. The heist. That's how I ended that video because it was a heist. Now, life is a whirlwind of chaos, a tangled web of complex problems and challenges. I, I, I believe that we make things more complex than. It is necessary, but here's the secret. The beginning of any intricate puzzle is where true power lies. Now, it's where clarity, discernment, and transparency flourish amidst the storm. Now, when chaos reigns, it's tempting to throw your hands up in the air in despair and to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the task at hand. But that's not how we roll, right? We're Americans. We're like original gangsters in regards to revolutions. We embrace the chaos. We dive in head first into the heart of the storm, unafraid and undeterred. Starting at the beginning is not for the faint of heart. It takes courage, determination, and unyielding spirit. It means stepping away from the noise and the distractions, shutting out the doubters and the naysayers and focusing on what truly matters, the core of the problem. It's in that almost pristine moment of initiation that you possess an unrivaled advantage. You see things others overlook, uncovering hidden truths and untapped potential. You become this beacon of clarity cutting through the fog of confusion with your unwavering focused gaze as you delve deeper armed with perseverance obviously and resilience you gain this discernment right trusting your gut a sixth sense for separating the essential from the non-essential you discern the underlying patterns the interconnected threads that hold that chaos together and every single moment day, week, month, as you push forward, you unravel the complexity, revealing this path forward <laughs> that no one else sees. But here's the best part. Starting at the beginning grants you the power of transparency. You see, chaos thrives in darkness, in the shadows of uncertainty. And to coordinate such chaos, you gotta drag it out into the light. You gotta pull their hair and drag them out into the light and allow them to show those you know, threads that hold the chaos together. But when you have the courage to confront the challenge head on and strip away the layers of complexity that are pretty much man-made and self-created, you suddenly have this flicker of light that becomes so blinding and it's called truth. And transparency brings accountability, enabling you to hold yourself and others to a higher standard. So let's talk about something that a lot of people aren't talking about. Let's talk about Illinois. So you remember back in 2019, and this is before I stream my, my show, so that way my archivist can actually post something. And for those of you that are listening to this on the podcast version, 
I am streaming this documentary right now. I will stream it on all platforms. Obviously, I'll probably get booted off of some, but it's okay. And then I will take it down. And that's to maintain my accounts and on Rumble to maintain the integrity of the information. So those of you that want to watch it, you can go to locals at torysays.com. Everything that has data baked into it is there. Therefore, one day when you are able to decipher data cloaked in sound, video, and images, uh, you can pull some other pretty nifty things. Now, speaking of it, in 2019, I uh, early in 2019, I had sent a couple emails kind of just kicking off some, you know, Hey, what's going on with First Energy? Hey, what's going on with this? Which, by the way, they're sending out settlements. Hey, babe, we'll pay you 250 bucks, even though we gave you bills of like $1,000 and stuff, because that's the settlement. See, this is where class action suits suck. But having said that, we need to talk about the trial of Tim Mapes. He was a, a longtime uh, chief of staff for Michael Madigan, very powerful former speaker of the Illinois House. Got to see the dates that he was former speaker of the Illinois House. So Mapes is facing charges of perjury and attempting to obstruct a federal investigation into Michael Madigan, the former powerful speaker of the Illinois House. And the trial is ongoing and it's, you know, it's being discussed in Illinois and Obamaland. Mapes lawyers have named not Bachu, uh, U.S. Attorney Amarjeet Bachu, as a potential defense witness too, which led to a situation where the U.S. Attorney is currently barred from attending Mapes' trial and discussing the ongoing testimony. We could get, hold on. He's a witness. The U.S. Attorney is a witness. Bachu is a significant figure in the case as he is the chief of public corruption section in, in Chicago's U.S. Attorney's Office and was involved in the prosecution of individuals who were charged with conspiring to bribe Madigan. This is, I mean, those of you that are in Illinois should be sinking your teeth into this and finding out what's really going on with Obamaland because maybe, you know, you'll have the same smirk I have on my face. Now, just so you understand, um, Mapes had previously testified before the grand jury facing questions from Bachu, who's now a witness, and an assistant U.S. attorney, Julia Schwartz. Mapes was later indicted over his answers to some of these questions, where he claimed he didn't know or couldn't remember work done for Madigan by another individual called Michael McLean, who was among those that were convicted earlier this year for conspiring to bribe Madigan. So now there's a debate over Bachu's presence in the courtroom, and that's a significant issue because the prosecution is arguing that Mapes' defense has not provided a plausible name for Bachu's testimony, and it's suggesting that Mapes may have listed Bachu as a witness to hinder the prosecution's trial preparation. So basically, the U.S. attorney that interviewed him on this stuff, right, is now suddenly a witness by, you know, Mapes. <laughs> and so now if your prosecutor, the U.S. attorney can't, you know, ask you questions because he's a witness that kind of, you know, stymies the whole judicial process. Right. It's, it's pretty interesting. And it's being debated right now. 
The defense is contending that Bachu's perspective is essential to the case and that he played a pivotal role in the investigation. Are they saying that the U.S. attorney meddled in the investigation, guided in the investigation, maybe steered the investigation? This, this happening right now is setting precedent that could have implication going forward like nobody's business, where Witness of people that are being prosecuted are like, wait, hold on a second. The dude was in on it with me. This is what he said. I need him as a witness and he needs to answer because that shit's recorded. Let's go. Let's go. And suddenly half of their evidence is thrown out. And so this is a huge thing. And I'm, I'm just wondering why no one's talking about it. And unfortunately, this week I will be traveling. I will be on locals and, um, you know obviously keeping you up to date, but this is massive in Illinois. And then you have to think, why is it that they're coming so hard? And oops, what happened with the U.S. attorney? This is a big story. And I'm just, I'm just kind of flabbergasted that no one's really sinking their teeth over this. But it, you have to understand that this is, this is setting precedent where defendants can remove members of the prosecution team from the courtroom simply by adding them on the witness list. And that's huge. So it's like, say, for example, someone prosecutes me and I'm like, well, hold on a second, Mr. FBI, Peter Strzok. You should be a witness in this. You were there with me. Sorry, Comey. You were there with me. You're a witness. You can't prosecute. You can't be part of the prosecution. And not only that, you can't have the information that you provided as evidence because you're my witness and, and that goes against the law. Are you catching my drift? So now I want you guys to know that, you know, right now everyone in America is kind of not happy with the fact that their vote doesn't count. Voting is imperative. It fixes everything. It fixes, it does. If your voice can be heard, it fixes everything. Yeah, there are idiots out there that vote against their own, you know, good, in, you know, well-being, I'd say. But that's just because they're uneducated. You know, um, educated people don't make stupid choices. It's un, un, un and under or miss educated people that do. But we're stuck in this box, right? They put us in this box where we can't vote and they have us chasing our tails, telling us about all the problems at once, like a fire hose, that are wrong with our nation so you can scatter to where you feel more called to. See, this is another way of dispersing people. But I, I will remind you that back in 2004 when the elections were actually stolen, John Kerry knew they were stolen. There's actually record of John Kerry saying they were stolen to a professor, highly esteemed professor. And then when that professor said, well, you know, we haven't had, you know, elections since 2000, like everyone's starting to say, I fucking said that because I was there at the meeting in 1999 when the software was damn created. But suddenly everybody's a fucking expert. Excuse my, my French. Because I was there when they literally brainstormed the whole thing. And it's like, are you kidding me? All of these people are experts, but the person that was at the inaugural meeting of discussing this <laughs> is not credible.
yet everything is pretty much on point. And you know, what's hilarious is that, you know, we see the elections that happened in 2020, the explosion of the data center, identical to what happened in 2004, just saying, right? Just saying. Um, but, you know, no one pays attention to that, you know, and it's not Curtis. There's someone else that no one talks about, and, and, and I'd love to showcase him. But also, you know what? Something nobody talks about is why was Julian Assange suddenly removed, right, from the actual prison he was in? He was removed, right? He was in a prison at the Ecuadorian embassy, right? But then suddenly they arrested him. I want you to take a think. Watch this little clip. Uh, which we will publish in due course, about uh, U.S. intelligence agencies interfering in elections. Okay, so now, hitting on elections, and I was talking and there was no, no, no sound. I apologize for that because I was connecting all the other streams because we're going to start the documentary. Now, having spoken about that, I want you guys to understand that we're still having this conversation. I was at the inaugural brainstorm of how to deploy these and how we were going to test them out in other countries. These are indeed weapons of mass destruction. And there are more people, not just Curtis, that have outed this. And not only that, they've painted them as crackpots. Oh, they think 9-11 is a conspiracy. They think elections are stolen. Well, the thing is, John Kerry said it himself. And then he also said, if I say something, they'll destroy me. You have to play the game. You have to toe the line. And, and it's almost the same thing with a lot of you that have been trying to put things out, right? You've tried to put a lot of things out, you know, into the public, right? You want to show people that, you know, this is how, how it's done. This is what happened. This is what is necessary, blah, blah, right? But, you know, the problem that we have is that people don't re really pay attention. They don't pay attention to the real issues at hand, that this has been an ongoing issue and they've silenced it using racial disparity, of course, right? They use racial disparity. This is why it's so horrible. And this is why everyone must pay attention. It's a racial thing. And Obama solidified that with the stolen elections of 2004 because he was a one-term senator and the Black Caucus, they knew, everybody knew that that election was fiddlesticks, right? Everybody knew that. Everybody. There's not one person that didn't know that. But you weren't allowed to talk about it. And you know what Obama said? Well, I'm not going to vote on my race guidelines, you know? I'm going to accept that George Bush won. And if you remember, I showed you a document from the CIA that clearly, that was unclassified later after I showed you, or was it? I don't know. They clearly said that Bush selected Obama to be his successor. This is why McCain was not allowed to win. 
So what they did was they used the election to deploy new warfare. And that was to incorporate the psychological operations, the bots, and utilizing social media. So Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney McCain, and Obama ran, but Obama even says he credits his win to things like Facebook and social media because they tested it. They, you know who was hired? Roger Stone was actually hired with his firm to work with McCain to counter it. Pay attention. This is how they work. They pre-select the people and Obama sat like a good little boy inserted the fact that they make elections about black or white, but then they did the same thing. Didn't they make COVID racist so they can inject all our black Americans first? Yes, everything's racist. And now they're using the 0.0000001% of the population that are transgender and weaponize that against the people. Remember, this is the era of information and ignorance is a choice, but through the era of information, the age of information comes at a price when you have a fourth unelected branch of government. The last tool they have in their cachet is censorship. You are witnessing the silencing of voices. You are recognizing it for what it truly is. But you must understand, they don't rip your tongue out for what they fear you will say. They fear that others will hear you. In the realms of control and oppression, the spread of ideas, the kindling of inspiration, the spark of dissent, those are the real threats to a regime. A single voice can be stifled, yes, but when the voice resonates with others, when it sparks conversation, when it ignites the imagination of a community, when it ignites a fire under their butt to revolt, that's when it becomes unstoppable. So as you take a step back, you have to see just where censorship is coming from. Because it's not just coming from the left. It's also coming from the right. So then you have to ask yourself, why are people on the right promoting censorship? Is it for self-preservation for them to just make more money and have clicks? Or is it because they're part of the uniparty? And just like John Kerry, they're playing the Good game, towing the line to make sure they have a position in what is to come. Well, what they want to come, right? So they always take preemptive measures. Keep in mind when they silence you. I mean, on the X platform, you're only allowed to watch videos that the CEO allows you depending on who you are and what the account is that you're watching. Again, they don't silence the people for what they might say, but because they dread the possibility that others will listen and that the whispers of change might find fertile ground and that the seeds of a revolution might be sown. And remember, enduring the power of ideas, the resilience of truth, and, and the collective strength that can be born from a single courageous voice. That could be you. Now, they may try to suppress your voice. But the truth has a way of breaking free even from the most oppressive chain. And in a world where information flows freely, censorship can be a jarring violation of the principles of openness and transparency. You, you would think everyone would be against it. But again, I, I take it back to 
one simple example. For those of you that were in the hype of the conservative MAGA meme sharing QAnon decodes praying medic, Austin Steinbart claimed he was goo. It was a great operation, but he served the purpose for the fourth unelected branch of government. And how? I said, listen, you don't have to like this guy, right? You don't. You don't even have to agree with him. You could say he's crazy. You could say he's an infiltrator. You could say he's a bottom feeder. I don't care. But what did I say? If you guys don't speak up for his rights being taken away and being thrown in prison for a nonviolent crime, for him being held within that prison for a nonviolent crime with no actual tangible evidence that he did anything wrong, you are helping them set precedent. And you should be very careful if that happens. Yet they all love just laughing away that Austin Steinbart was in jail because they didn't like him. Because, you know, that's what very dumb people do, but also people that are part of an operation. See, if people are thinking there isn't precedent, you need to see how they treated that man and how that went along and how the right did not rally behind, they only rally behind Trump. Anyone else that gets found guilty of something is oh, so bad, right? And let's pretend they are. Let's pretend all of them are. They're, let's say that right now, today, as, oh my gosh, and you guys know I don't like Rosie O'Donnell. She pisses me off. She looks like your typical dirty lesbian. And when I say dirty, all my, all my lesbian friends know what I mean, right? It's like the butch that thinks she's it because of, I don't know, whatever, even though she had herpes on her face when she was doing her TikTok. But let's pretend today they decide to roll up Rosie O'Donnell on charges that make no sense, that are nonviolent, and they throw her into solitary confinement for whatever, walking around somewhere, maybe telling her friends, hey, we need to get these documents, right? And then organizes all of that, right? And so they arrest her and throw her in jail. I would stand up for her rights to a justful trial, to just means of being thrown in, because it's not a violent crime. Like, why are you throwing them in solitary? I would totally stand up for her rights, regardless if I don't like her. I could go back to, hey, I will be hating on her and making jokes about her, but I will still freaking help her because she's still an American citizen and that's how we should be. We should understand that when our fellow citizens undergo harm, just because you don't like them doesn't make it okay. We should all be standing up for the foundations of this nation. Our, our forefathers knew that. This is why the First Amendment was first. The First Amendment is a representation of your voice, right? Of you being able to redress your grievances and speak up. Well, what the hell is your vote? Your vote is speaking up. Your vote is redressing your grievances. And we have had that taken away. So now what do we do? Do we invoke the Second Amendment? No. That's exactly what they want. You're at a disadvantage. You have to know strategy. The one thing you need to do is show the others that are still in a joyous trance of how you're being silenced and how you just have to comply and you'll have all these freedoms. Remember when they told you, take the vaccine and you'll have all these freedoms, the freedoms that you already had, that they decided in an arbitrary fashion to take away from you. And this happened in Ohio, you guys. People are so fucking dumb in Ohio. 
Seriously, anybody in Ohio, you're dumb, 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 dumb. Pass it along. We have a constitutional amendment, Article 1, Section 21, that said no one can impose directly or indirectly any medical procedures, devices, insurance, the hospitalizations, anything. And yet, the governor ignored it. Your legislators ignore it. Your Senate, your House. Where the fuck is J.D. Vance saying, hey, we had a constitution here. We need to get rid of the wine. Or how's we impeach the whole Supreme Court of Ohio that said, we're just not going to look at the Constitution of Ohio. See, these are the things we need to be paying attention to, laser focused on the actual crimes against the general public, the people. And no matter how many times I say it, you know, everyone just cowers away because they, they won't get clicks. They won't do this. They won't do that. Right. Well, here we go. As you know, um, on the 16th, there's an event for Lindell. Maybe today I can make it clear to you that a lot of people still don't know why Assange was collected from the embassy at that time. No one. It's about elections. He had evidence of election meddling. Oh, not just for that period of time, but since the first conversation, the brainstorming. And I have other people documented saying the same thing, but we only stick with Curtis because that's the only guy that I showcase. Everyone else is just waiting on standby. Is she going to showcase so we could talk about it? <sighs> because they're all experts. Well, as I said, I'm streaming this and then I'm taking it down after the stream to maintain my platforms and so that there aren't any violations. It doesn't mean that during the stream it will not be taken down. This is the second part of the John Brennan series, and you'll understand why John Brennan is and will be one of the people that will be perp walking. Please enjoy the show. Oh, and for those of you that are local subscribers, you know that on locals, I have this in perpetuity with data baked into it. So one day when you figure out how to pull and extract data from audio and video, you'll have everything you need, like emails and stuff like that. You know what I mean. So here we go, guys. Enjoy part two. Director Brennan, when the White House conducted their armed drone strikes in North Africa, particularly in eastern Libya, prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 9-1-1 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Uh, armed drone strikes in Libya? Uh, unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to address your question. The attacks they've been doing since Bosnia, they slaughtered people in Bosnia. Then the next thing, they had to come up with a new idea of how they could attack a lot of countries. And that was the World Trade Center destruction. That was the method. Mm -hmm. And they followed through with that method. The next false attack was saying Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, which was a lie. Yeah. Now think about it. That was George Janet who said they had weapons of mass destruction, and they proved he lied. Now think about this. They never have gone back and arrested him. Of course not. So also, when he lied about Iraq, well then, why not go 
back and see if he lied about the World Trade Center because if they think about the FBI said that Osama bin Laden did not do that, but they ignored that. They said, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just say he did that anyway. Yeah, at the beginning, Osama bin Laden himself denied that he did it. The real Osama bin Laden. You call these people homicidal lunatics, the murderous maniacs. I mean, they find reason to do genocide. I gave this list of the attack uh, and Bosnia. Right. They said, okay, well, we got up to Syria and they murdered people in Syria so they could attack. And I said, now you can stop them there. So now they're going to be going to Ukraine. That's where they're going to be slaughtering people next. And what did we get? Slaughter in Ukraine. This is John of We're listening to an interview with Dr. Ronald Cudbreth. He's an engineering scientist and intelligence expert and did his dissertation at the Lawrence Livermore Lab in the United States. Thank you very much for listening. And we wish you the best wherever you may be. China wants to be a global power, and they recognize that having uh, economic strength and commercial strength uh, is a necessary but insufficient condition for uh, global influence and power. And so they're, I think, uh, trying to augment what they're doing on that economic front with more political influence, uh, but also more security and, and military assistance and presence. Uh, when there are destabilizing events in other countries, that affects Chinese interests. There are a number of countries over the last several years where Chinese workers and, and companies had to pull out because of instability and violence. And so I think China recognizes that if it truly wants to have a global footprint that will make a global power, it has to have multi-dimensional uh, influence and presence. And that's what I think is driving China. But I think there needs to be a recognition of the United States that China is going to increasingly play a role in, in regional affairs uh, far beyond uh, East Asia. And therefore, I think we have to come to terms with China. And there are a lot of areas where we can cooperate. Uh, I don't believe it's a zero-sum game uh, in many areas. There are some areas where I think we have to rightly push back against uh, Chinese influence and trying to flex its military muscles, particularly in the, the South China Sea. Uh, what we want to do is to make sure that the principles that undergird U.S. democracy, such as freedom of navigation and uh, international freedoms and liberties, are not going to be uh, violated by uh, Chinese aggression. All right, to Washington now, where the Senate Intelligence Committee is considering the nomination of John Brennan to be the next director of the CIA in a scheduled hearing to begin in a few minutes. CNBC's Eamon Javers has taken a close look at the longtime CIA officer's three-year stint in the private sector. Kind of, Eamon, it's a... Um revolving door of a bit for spies. What did you find out? Yeah, that's right, Brian. There's been a lot written here about John Brennan and what he's done in government, but what we did is took a look at the three years he spent in the private sector between late 2005 and early 2009. John Brennan left government and went to work for a small intelligence contractor here in the Virginia area, suburban Virginia area, just outside of Washington. The company was called the Analysis Corporation, and what we discovered was the Analysis Corporation was actually owned at one point by a parent entity that was based in Britain and had offices around the world. This parent entity was a security company, and they were doing security services for the U.S. military in Baghdad and throughout Iraq. But at the same time, they had an office in Beijing, and they were approaching the Chinese government-owned companies for security work in Iraq as well. So at the same time, this company was working for the Americans in Iraq. It was also looking for contracts in Beijing from the Chinese government, and its subsidiary here in the Washington area employed John Brennan, the future nominee to be the head of the CIA. An interesting mix of global intelligence. One former employee of the company called that a huge conflict of interest in this person's opinion. Uh, and the other thing we found here is we found out who John Brennan's boss was before he started working for Barack Obama. And it was this man, a man named Damien Pearl. We have a picture here. He was the CEO of Global Strategies Group, and he was the man that Brennan reported to in this corporate hierarchy that he worked in. Pearl is a. Now I'm going to pause it. So I want you guys to listen carefully. 
John Brennan worked as advisor to Senator Obama, actually helped him get his campaign to become senator. Pearl, that's a company I worked for for nearly two decades. The Amazon Group, follow the money. You think you know what you're talking about when you talk about Vanguard and BlackRock? You don't focus on the little groups. You do not focus on the little groups. You just go with what the popular people tell you. But if you actually follow this one, well, there's an enchilada. That's going to open up your eyes and you might be losing a lot of sleep. The former British Royal Marine, uh, and he made most of his fortune uh, working in Iraq in the security business, doing what they call the guns, gates, and Gurkhas business in Iraq. So this is John Brennan's boss before he started working for Barack Obama. It, it, it sounds very sort of like juicy 007, it's a little bit cloak and dagger, but at the same time, there's nothing to suggest that anything inappropriate was going on here, right? In That's terms right. of we should, John we Brennan's life that. in the private sector. That's right. I didn't talk to anybody who suggested that John Brennan ever did anything inappropriate uh, while he was in the private sector. Uh, what I did talk to were so several people who questioned sort of why we need this private intelligence structure in any case. Why do we have global private security firms that are operating in Beijing and Washington and Baghdad at the same time? And, and this is an entirely taxpayer-fueled entity. So you know the, the answer, government but, I mean, you know the answer to that. It's the way when the U.S. Army could say, we don't have operatives in South America during the drug wars. They didn't, but they were paying mercenaries to be down there private military companies i did a tiktok on that that was banned well played Masad. and so it's going to constantly happen again and again and again pay attention to see who's actually ruling you and then think to yourself why is it that people both on the left and the right are silencing and i'm going to tell you something so you understand this very very well if the conservatives the Bushes, the Republicans, right, rigged the elections in 2004. And then they selected Obama to run. What does that tell you about who is running the show? Do you really think it's the GOP on your side? The fuck out of here. Choosing the lesser of two evils? The fuck out of here. You're still not paying attention. For those of you thinking you can reform the party that's leading the charge in this, the fuck out of here. Yeah, look, a lot of this is done in a very hidden way. It's a very murky world. We had to sift through a lot of corporate records to find this corporate structure to figure out that Global Strategies Group, for example, is uh, registered in Luxembourg, not in England. Uh, it, there are subsidiaries of subsidiaries. Some of these companies are spun out, go public, go private again. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them, and therefore, they're easily lost in the shuffle. That might be an advantage, right, if you're in the intelligence mm -hmm. game. Absolutely. It sounds fascinating. And for our viewers who, are, who have the interest peaked, you can read Eamon's full report on CNBC.com. Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews in Washington. Let me start tonight with this. America is a land of liberty. People born here get the greatest, most well-guarded rights in the world, and there's nothing I'm prouder of. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what America is all about. And so we have debates, debates about the most central questions, these questions, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those words are the ones that Jefferson gave us. Well, tonight we go after those questions, starting with the question, as out there as it may be, does the United States government have the right to target an American here in America with a drone strike? We have a great person to address that question, Senator Dianne Feinstein, chair of the United States Senate, Committee on Intelligence. Anyway, late this afternoon, before we get started, John Brennan was confirmed to be the next head of the CIA. I hope you guys listen to that. This is from before. Are we allowed to drone strike American citizens on U.S. soil? The question was, are we allowed to drone strike Americans in general? And then you have to think about definitions. They've redefined every word, right? I mean, a domestic terrorist is a mom that's demanding that she doesn't have child porn at her kid's school. 
A domestic terrorist is now a mom that says, no, you're not going to make money and mask my kid. A domestic terrorist is anyone asking questions. Do you know that there are people that have filed FOIA requests and they have their own state turn on them to sue them for asking too many questions? But let's not talk about that. We should just talk about whatever the talking heads want you to talk about, right? But this is from the days of yore. This is from 10 years ago. While all of you were sleeping, not paying attention to what it is killing American citizens. Oh, and you know how I've raised the alarm a couple years ago. Hey, your states are passing law to make it legal to liquefy human remains for fertilizer. Nothing. No one sent the letter to their state legislators to say, what the hell is going on? Who, who, who thought that this is a good idea? <laughs> but again, let's make this about black and white. Let's make this about, you know, Republicans and Democrats always picking a side rather than standing in the middle and saying, both of you are bullshit, something's up and we're not okay with this. But this is from over 10 years ago. I lived through that. My call sign was Neovirus. I, I, the final vote was pretty strong, 63 to 34. Brennan's nomination reignited debate, of course, about the use of drones against American citizens overseas. And then Senator Rand Paul added a wrinkle. He wanted to know, can the government kill Americans here on U.S. soil? Well, nomination reignited debate, of course, about the use of drones against American citizens overseas. And then Senator Rand Paul added a wrinkle. He wanted to know, can the government kill Americans here on U.S. soil? Well, Some familiarity. Bottom line is, uh, he has to answer for what he If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. I'm John Strikes in Libya. Um, unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to uh, address your question. Were there any Just a moment. We need to rewind that. The whole thing. Let's start from the beginning. Before I do that, I'd like to ask a question of Director Brennan. When the White House conducted their armed drone strikes in North Africa, particularly in eastern Libya, prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 9-1-1 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Uh, armed drone strikes in Libya? Um, unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to uh, address your question. Nomination reignited debate, of course, about the use of drones against American citizens overseas. And then Senator Rand Paul added a wrinkle. He wanted to know, can the government kill Americans here on U.S. soil? Before I do that, I'd like to ask a question of Director Brennan. When the White House conducted their armed drone strikes in North Africa, particularly in eastern Libya, Prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 9-1-1 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Combination reignited debate, of course, about the use of drones against American citizens overseas. And then Senator Rand Paul added a wrinkle. He wanted to know, can the government kill Americans here on U.S. soil? Well, last night he said it's an epic, nearly 13-hour filibuster on the Senate floor to raise alarms about the possibility. Earlier this week, Attorney General Eric Holder wrote that Paul's scenario was entirely hypothetical, would only be possible, quote, extraordinary circumstances, well, such as after Pearl Harbor or in 9-11 attacks, that did not satisfy Senator Paul. Let's take a look. 
The very specific question we're asking is, does the president believe he has the authority to kill Americans who are not engaged in combat in America with targeted drone strikes? And I think the answer is no, but they haven't given us that answer. Well, today, White House spokesman Jay Carney said the attorney general sent Paul's letter, a new letter, sent from Paul's office, a new letter answering that question. Let's listen to the comment. This is uh, from the letter, quote, does the president have the authority to use a weaponized drone to kill an American not engaged in combat on American soil? The answer is no. The answer to that question. Well, that means we need to define what the word combat means. They've changed that, just like domestic terrorists. So was the 80-year-old guy who was half asleep, where they showed pictures of him from older years, decades old with guns, was he really a threat at 80 years old trying to get out of bed at 6.15? Probably reached over for his gun, maybe not. What's the word combat? We need to find out. Go, go, go find out what the word combat is by definition. And then you'll see that speaking up against the government is considered combat. That means all of you are free game. Is no. Uh, and that is signed. That is a letter that was signed by the Attorney General and was uh, submitted to uh, Senator Paul in his office. Well, finally, this afternoon, Rand Paul, the senator, said he was satisfied with the administration's response. Let's listen to Paul. Hooray! For 13 hours yesterday, we asked him that question. And so there is a result in a victory. Under duress and under public humiliation, the White House will respond and do the right thing. So now, after 13 hours of filibuster, we are proud to announce that the president is not going to kill unarmed Americans on American soil. My next question would be, why did it take so long? Why is it so hard? And why would the president so jealously guard power that they were afraid to say this? But I am glad, and I think that answer does, that question the answer does answer my question. Senator Feinstein, thank you for joining us from Capitol Hill. Was that a reasonable demand by uh, your colleague, Senator Paul, or is this sort of a build-up story built up by him, hyped up? Well, I think it's built up. I think it's hyped up. I think it's cleared up. Uh, it was cleared up yesterday when Senator Cruz asked the question uh, in the Judiciary Committee. And, uh, I, I, you know, it can be a complicated question. When it's reduced down to the basic simple fact of what it was said, the answer is clearly no. And no drone is going to be used in the United States against an American citizen walking down a street or sitting in a cafe. And, you know, and then there was a stupid example of a drone being used against Jane Fonda. I mean, uh, I don't think this is befitting the Senate floor. Having said that, uh, clearly, uh, Senator Paul got the answer in writing, signed by the Attorney General, which is very definitive. Yeah. Well, here's your colleague, John McKinney, took him up Senate floor today and attacked Senator Paul, saying he's giving credence to people who fear the government, the fear that the government's out to get them, the sort of the black helicopter crowd. Let's watch uh, your other colleague, John McKinney, in action here. To somehow allege or infer that the President of the United States is going to kill somebody like Jane Fonda or someone who disagrees with the policies is, is a stretch of imagination, which is frankly ridiculous. We've done a, I think, um, a disservice to a lot of Americans by making them believe that somehow they're in danger from their government. They're not. Well, we should ask the people, the American citizens that were used as human targets in North Africa and in the Middle East to test out new drone toys and then blame it on other people. Oh, is that too much truth for you? Let's continue. Do you think, Senator, that uh, technology and you and I have grown up with the dynamic, I mean, almost unbelievable, 
exponential growth in what mankind can do with technology. Yeah. Is that playing to the paranoia in people? They think if we have the capability, we're going to use it against average citizens who have a different political persuasion, yeah. for example. Is that why the far right's so nervous? Well, I think the drone... Wasn't it um, Biden that said that we need F-15s and nuclear weapons to take him out? You forget, they tell you everything you need to know, but no one's paying attention. You know, Hillary was right. People forget. All you have to do is congest the media, buy some assets on the right. Think about it. They all thump each other. Buy some assets on the right. Buy some assets on the right. There you go. It's a new technology. Uh, in, in some respects, it's the perfect assassination weapon. Uh, it can see from 17, 20,000 feet up in the air. It is very precise. It can knock out a room in a building if it's armed. Um, it can, it's a very dangerous weapon. Uh, now, right now, we have a problem. There are all these nations that want to buy these uh, armed drones. I am strongly opposed to that. Uh, we have no regulation of drones in the United States in their commercial use. You can see drones uh, someday hovering over the homes of Hollywood luminaries, violating privacy. This question has to be addressed, and we need rules of operation on the border by police, by commercial use, and also by military and intelligence use. So this is now a work in progress. We are taking a look at it on the Intelligence uh, Committee, uh, trying to draft some legislation. The administration is looking at a rules playbook as to how these won't be used and how they will be used. So it's a very complicated subject of new technology, and I think we have to take a pause. And particularly in eastern Libya, prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 911 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Uh, armed drone strikes in Libya? Um, unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to uh, address your question. Were there any armed drone strikes in Northern Africa that were made by the White House? The White House doesn't have uh, a drone capability, responsibility, whatever, so... I, I... Did they have any directives toward having armed drone strikes in North Africa? Again, I don't know what it is specifically referring to, but uh, again, I would defer to the White House on whatever happened at that time. Well, you speak to the capability. The, the UAVs that were over flying over uh, Libya were military and were unarmed. And so were there any armed drone strikes that were made in North Africa prior to 911? In Libya? I'm asking in North Africa, I'm asking the, I'm asking Director Brennan, were there any armed drone strikes that were made by the United States? She's asking Director Brennan, because it was Director Brennan's communications that gave the okay. And that was leaked to her in the appropriate way. I want you to pay attention who was on the bar there and the interactions they had. Remember who was on the bar there and the interactions they had. I want you to focus on that. You understand that the issue was that we were using our own as target practice to test out new toys. Pay attention. In North Africa prior to 911. Well, we usually don't talk about any type of specific actions, but uh, I, again, I don't know what you could be referencing. I'm, I'm just wondering if the State Department was aware or if the military was aware or if the CIA was aware. And if we aren't going to talk about that, we aren't going to talk about that, but that's a, a question I'd like to know. Going back to Iran, what is our red line regarding the Iranian nuclear weapon 
development program. And I would ask Director Brennan, what is our what is our red line? Uh, that clearly is a, a policy question. That's one of the things that the intelligence community is trying to make sure the policymakers are fully informed about developments inside of Iran and their uh, nuclear-related uh, pursuits. But regarding the, the nuclear weapon program and our intelligence uh, capability, again, we have a wonderful intelligence community, but we weren't aware of the, of the bombing in 1993 at the World Trade Center Tower. We weren't aware before 9-1-1 occurred in 2001. We weren't aware of the Arab Spring developments, and we weren't aware of the attack on the mission in Benghazi. We were totally aware. We created the Arab Spring event. We knew everything that was happening in Benghazi. We let all of that happen. And when I say we, I'm talking about your fourth unelected branch of government that I used to be a part of, and that's why people don't like me. But that's okay. You can hate me now, but you can love me later. We. We didn't know. We didn't know. Really? We didn't know? When we can hear and see everything? Hmm. How do we have confidence that we will know when Iran has amassed the capability of developing a nuclear weapon? I ask that because the president said last month that it would take approximately a year for Iran to develop a nuclear weapon once they had made that decision. Last week, we know that the current negotiations have gone without any breakthrough or any development. And so I'm very concerned about our intelligence capability of knowing with a high degree of certainty when Iran has either made the decision to develop nuclear weapons or has obtained nuclear weapons. I think this subject is much, much better talked about in closed session. I, I would look forward to that, and I'd appreciate that. Could you comment on what is happening with, uh, we talk a lot about uranium development with Iran's nuclear program, but Iran is also building a heavy water reactor capable of producing plutonium. What's the status of Iran's heavy water reactor? Well, again, this would be a sub Pause and get it right. Let's well, great to have you on, Senator Dianne Chairs of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Thank you so much for joining us now. Our government and our citizens recognize the urgency of the task. To find and stop al-Qaeda before it could shed the blood of more innocent men, women, and children, be it in America or be it in any other corner of the world. And, as has been the case throughout its then 54-year history, CIA was looked to for answers not only to the questions on the threats we faced, but also to questions about what we were going to do to stop future attacks. CIA's mission in the wake of the 9-11 attacks would be a multi-dimensional one. Stopping al-Qaeda would require the CIA to work closely with, with its intelligence community, military, homeland security, and law enforcement partners, as well as with numerous intelligence and security services around the globe. To be successful, CIA officers knew that they needed speed, agility, courage, resources, and, most important, intelligence. Their mission was to acquire through human and technical operations and then to analyze with deep expertise whatever bits and pieces of information might help fill out the menacing yet incomplete puzzle of Al-Qaeda's terrorist plans. Indeed, there were numerous credible and very worrisome reports about a second and third wave of major attacks against the United States. And while we grieved, while we honored our dead, while we tended to our injured, 
And while we embarked on the long process of recovery, we feared more blows from an enemy we couldn't see and an evil we couldn't fathom. This is the backdrop against which the agency was directed by President Bush to carry out a program to detain terrorist suspects around the world. In many respects, the program was uncharted territory for the CIA, and we were not prepared. We had little experience housing detainees, and precious few of our officers were trained interrogators. But the president authorized the effort six days after 9-11, and it was our job to carry it out. In another major story tonight, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee has accused the CIA of spying on Congress in an astonishing speech. Democrat Dianne Feinstein claimed that in 2010, the agency hacked into the computers of her committee, which oversees the CIA. Wyatt Andrews has our story. California's right. The, the speech was both a surprise and unprecedented. Dianne Feinstein, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, says the CIA spied on the committee's computers and deleted important documents. She said it happened during an investigation into the CIA's controversial interrogation techniques, including waterboarding used against suspected terrorists. By snooping on Congress, Feinstein said, the CIA lost a lot. I have grave concerns that the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. The director of the CIA, John Brennan, denied that the agency did anything wrong. As far as the allegations of you know, CIA hacking to you know, send computers, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But Director Brennan himself disclosed in January that the agency had conducted a search of the committee computers. Here's the issue. For years, the CIA and Intelligence Committee have shared computers at a secret site in Northern Virginia where committee investigators could access classified documents. Last year, the CIA complained that Senate senators had hacked the system and copied a document considered off-limits. That document, called the Internal Panetta Review because it went straight to former Director Leon Panetta, is said to be highly critical of the CIA's interrogation program. Senator Feinstein denied there was any hacking and said the committee broke none of the rules. The document made available to the staff at the off-site facility, and it was located using a CIA-provided search tool. This clash now leaves both sides, the Senate and the CIA, accusing each other of possible criminal violations of computer law. Both sides have lodged complaints at the Justice Department, but Scott's in the past, disputes like this have gone all the way to the present. Wyatt Andrews on Capitol Hill for us tonight. Wyatt, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Gentlemen, my, my view is you couldn't have passionate debates in this room without the great work that the men and women of the intelligence community, community do to preserve our freedom. And I just want to start by saying we're very grateful for that. Director Brennan, in 2014, the CIA conducted an unauthorized search of Senate files, including the emails of Senate staff investigating the CIA's use of torture. The CIA Inspector General later stated that the search involved improper agency access to Senate files, and a review board that you appointed concluded that the search resulted in inappropriate access to the committee's work product. You initially denied that the search took place. Reports of both your Inspector General and the review board show that uh, this denial was at odds with the facts. After the facts were publicly exposed, the CIA even wrote an apology letter that you did not send. Now, senior officials from the NSA, the FBI, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence have all testified that it would be inappropriate for their agencies to secretly search Senate files without external authorization. But we still have not gotten an acknowledgement from you. So I think it would be important, I'd like to hear from you, I'd like to set the record straight that this would never happen again. Would you agree that the CIA's 2014 search of Senate files was improper? 
This is the annual threat assessment, is it not? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I think, Senator, as you well know, there were very unique circumstances associated with this whole affair. These were CIA computers at a CIA leased facility. It was a CIA network that was shared between Senate staffers conducting that investigation for your report, as well as CIA personnel. When it became quite obvious to CIA personnel that Senate staffers had unauthorized access to an internal draft document of CIA, it was an obligation on the part of CIA officers who had responsibility for the security of that network to investigate to see what might have been the reason for that access that the Senate staffers had to that document. They conducted that investigation. I spoke to the chairman and vice chairman about it. I tried to make sure they understood exactly what the challenge was that we had. We conducted that investigation. I then subsequently referred the matter to the IG when the Senate leadership was concerned about the actions of CIA officers. I also subsequently convened an accountability board. And I think you, if you were to read those reports, and including the accountability board, it would, have, would see that it's decided, determined that the actions of the CIA were reasonable, given the very unclear and unwritten or, or un, unspecific uh, understanding between the committee and CIA at the time. Uh, in terms of Mr. what director, my, my, my time is short, but that's not what the inspector general or the report. I'd, like, I'd like to read the exact words. The exact words of the review board were it resulted in inappropriate access to SSCI work product. And your inspector general reached the same conclusion. And so the question here is, is when you're talking about spying on a committee responsible for overseeing your agency, in my view, that undermines the very checks and balances that protect our democracy, and it's unacceptable in a free society, and your compatriots in all of the sister agencies agree with that. Now, do you disagree? Yes, I think you mischaracterized both their comments as well as what's in those reports. And I apologize to the chairman and the vice chairman about the de minimis access, inappropriate access that CIA officers made to five emails or so of Senate staffers during that investigation. And I apologize to them for that very specific inappropriate action that was taken as part of a very reasonable investigative action. But do not say that we spied on Senate computers or your files. We did not do that. We we're fulfilling our responsibilities. I read the exact words, the Inspector General, and the exact words of the review board. You appointed the review board. They said nobody ought to be punished, but they said there was improper access. My point is, in our system of government, we have responsibilities to do vigorous oversight. And we can't do vigorous oversight if there are improper procedures used to access our files. My time's up. And Senator, I would say, do you not agree that there was improper access that Senate staffers had to CIA internal deliberative documents? What I can was that not inappropriate, I, unauthorized? I can tell you, having talked at length to our staff, everything that we determined they did was appropriate. But I asked about CIA conduct in two reviews. The Inspector General and your review board said it was improper. Yes, and I'm still awaiting the review that was done by the Senate uh, to take a look at what the staffers' actions were. Separation of powers between the executive legislative branch and the Senator goes both ways. And as I said, I apologize to the chairman and the vice chairman for the very specific, inappropriate access that agency officers who were investigating this incident uh, made to those emails. Very limited, inappropriate actions. Overall, that investigation was done consistent with our obligations, consistent with the law, consistent with our responsibilities. And I do think that you're mischaracterizing the, the full tenor of the, the, both the accountability board and the inspector general's report. Pretty hard to mischaracterize word for word quotes. Oh, and oh, word for proper um, I'll exercise something here. If you look at the New York Times today and the Washington Post, they described yesterday's events as intense, uh, as aggressive, as heated. This was a walk in the park uh, for this man. And at the very end of the hearings, I thought it was fascinating when John Brennan had the audacity to look at this committee and its feckless chairman and say, I want you to be an advocate for the Central Intelligence Agency. 
The job of the Senate Intelligence Committee is to be an advocate for the American citizens to make sure the American citizens understand that secret acts are not breaking laws, they're not illegal, and are not immoral. So John Brennan now is in no position to uh, claim that, and he wants the Senate Intelligence Committee to back him up regardless of what CIA activities he sponsors. This is uh, a very disturbing series of events. Intelligence Agency Director John Brennan says in call to resign after admitting CIA, CIA officials spied on the Senate panel probing the agency's torture and remission program. The allegation surfaced in March when members of the Senate Intelligence Committee openly accused CIA officials of illegally monitoring their staffers' computers. At the time, John Brennan denied the spying allegations and said those who make them will be proved wrong. This is the allegations of you know CIA hacking into you know Senate computers. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we wouldn't do that. I mean, that's that's. But that's just beyond the the uh, you know the scope of, of reason in terms but of what she we do. Said when the facts come out on this, I think a lot of people who are claiming that there has been this tremendous sort of spying and monitoring and hacking will be proved uh, wrong. Well, CIA Director John Brennan reversed his stance this week after an internal CIA inquiry found the spying indeed took place with the involvement of ten agency employees. Brennan apologized to lawmakers in a briefing earlier this week. The CIA has also retracted counter-allegations that Senate staffers illegally removed classified information from a top-secret facility. The White House is standing by Brennan, citing President Obama's, quote, great confidence in his leadership. But at least two members of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Democrats Mark Udall of Colorado and Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, are calling for Brennan's resignation. We're joined by the reporter who first broke the news of the CIA's admission to spying on Senate computers, Jonathan Landay, senior national security and intelligence correspondent for McClatchy Newspapers, also in Washington, D.C. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, talk about this revelation uh, that you just exposed. So um, after all of uh, this, what had been this behind-the-scenes battle, unprecedented battle between uh, the uh, CIA and its Senate overseers, apparently John Brennan asked his uh, inspector general, uh, uh, David Buckley, to look into Senator Feinstein's allegations that the CIA had, in fact, uh, 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 without authorization and in breach of an agreement with the Senate staff, had intruded into a database that was for use by the Senate staff only. Apparently, his uh, or his uh, David Buckley came back with his findings that uh, a number of CIA uh, IT specialists, three IT specialists, five uh, CIA officers, and I believe it was two attorneys, uh, had in fact either uh, uh, without permission breached uh, the Senate uh, committee's database or caused it to be breached. Uh, we also find out that the complaint that the CIA uh, referred to the Justice Department uh, that uh, uh, containing allegations that the Senate staff had without permission, without authorization, removed top secret classified documents from the secret CIA facility in which they were doing their work was apparently made on with uh, on, on, on with uh, uh, incorrect information that it, it was based. It was not factually based, so that's gone away. Although the CIA, uh, the Justice Department. In fact, it dropped the case uh, at the beginning of last month, although very interestingly, this, the Justice Department said that it had found no uh, reason to proceed with a criminal investigation or insufficient evidence to proceed with a criminal investigation at this time. So it's possible that uh, the Justice Department could take a new look at all of this. Um, we have to wait and see. There have been calls by some members of Congress and uh, civil, uh, civil rights organizations that the Justice Department ought to take a new look at. Uh, what went on. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about all of this is that I think President Obama, the White House uh, staff, the CIA, uh, a lot of people on Capitol Hill had hoped to put this issue behind them once uh, the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee's report is issued. And I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon.
truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. John Brennan was on Capitol Hill Thursday seeking the Senate Intelligence Committee's approval as the next director of the CIA. And that, let us wonder how a kid from North Bergen, New Jersey, who rode the D-train five days a week to Fordham, found his way to a briefing chair in the Oval Office in the White House Situation Room. Brennan, the son of Irish immigrants, attended Fordham University in the 1970s, just 11 miles from his childhood home. But after freshman year, his horizons began to grow. I spent a summer traveling through Indonesia, taking in the wonderful landscape, culture, and people of Java and Bali. Despite my long hair, my earring, and my obvious American appearance, I was welcomed throughout that country in a way that is reflect a reflection of the tremendous warmth of Islamic cultures and societies. By junior year, Brennan was studying Islam and learning Arabic in Cairo. I'm a kunt talib with shabab. I'm a darast arabiya. Now, don't tell the folks away. <laughs> we don't speak Arabic, what I said. Okay? <laughs> After college, he began an illustrious career at the CIA. According to former CIA director George Tenet, Brennan once scared off a Pavaranian spy by openly confronting him on the streets of Saudi Arabia. Over 25 years, Brennan worked his way up the intelligence ladder. He served as CIA analyst, a station chief, national security advisor to Bill Clinton, and chief of staff to George Tenet during the Bush administration. In that time, he's made friends and enemies on both sides of the political spectrum, including criticism for being soft on Islam and terror. We're going to have somebody at the head of the CIA of our national intelligence, an individual who has publicly stated that Islam has shaped his worldview. That is concerning, should be concerning to every American. But he's also accused of being complicit in the torture of prisoners. He didn't mind, apparently, when Bush uh, tortured people, although he says he was tortured about it. Ironic. But recently, his most vocal critics, including those protesters who interrupted today's hearing, have attacked him for his support of drone strikes. I have hundreds of innocent people we are killing with our drone strikes in Pakistan yeah. and in Yemen and Somalia. I speak out on behalf of those innocent victims. They deserve an apology from you, Mr. Brennan. Brennan has had a hand in shaping the way the administration uses drones. In the last two years, he's helped develop what the Obama administration calls the decision matrix. This is a targeted a focused effort at people who are on a list of active terrorists. More than a simple kill list, the database includes a range of information on targets, including capture and kill plans. And as the use of drones continues to stir debate, the next head of the CIA could be one of the government's primary point men in coordinating their use and justifying it to the public. President Obama is expected today to nominate John Brennan as the next director of the Central Intelligence Agency and former Republican Senator Chuck Hagel as defense secretary. We begin by looking at John Brennan, 25-year CIA veteran who currently serves as Obama's top counterterrorism advisor. Brennan's played a key role in the expansion of Obama's secret drone war and has been dubbed by some to be the, quote, assassination czar. Brennan was a rumored pick for the job when Obama was first elected in 2008, but was forced to withdraw from consideration amidst protest over his role at the CIA. CIA under George W. Bush. Brennan had publicly supported the CIA's policies of so-called enhanced interrogation techniques and extraordinary rendition. Joining us now by Democracy Now! video stream is Marcy Wheeler, an investigative blogger who has written extensively about John Brennan. She runs the website FDWheel.net. She joins us from Michigan. Marcy, welcome to Democracy Now! Tell us who John Brennan is. So uh, if Barack Obama had the equivalent of a Dick Cheney, so somebody who is involved in all of the national security decisions, is the last person to speak to Obama before he makes these decisions, uh, if we trust him, if we, if we believe he actually asks Obama these decisions, um, the one who has centralized almost all of these decisions under himself, it would be John Brennan. So since 
uh, you know, in Obama's first term, Brennan has been the one who has been at Obama's side for all of these national security decisions. I want to turn to John Brennan's remarks last May when he publicly confirmed the United States has used drones to conduct targeted killings overseas. President Obama believes that done carefully, deliberately, and responsibly, we can be more transparent and still ensure our nation's security. So let me say it as simply as I can. Yes, in full accordance with the law, and in order to prevent terrorist attacks on the United States and to save American lives, the United States government conducts targeted strikes against specific al-Qaeda terrorists, sometimes using remotely piloted aircraft, often referred to publicly as drones. And I'm here today because President Obama has instructed us to be more open with the American people about these efforts. That's John Brennan, who uh, President Obama, it is said, will be uh, nominating to be head of the CIA. Marcy Wheeler, these comments. Well, what your readers, what your listeners should know, first of all, is that John Brennan has lied um, explicitly about drones in the past, uh, in, 2000, in 2011, 2010. He basically said there have been no civilian casualties at all for, from drones. So when John Brennan makes public statements, he also had a famous um, press conference right after the killing of Osama bin Laden where he uh, made a lot of misleading statements as well. So when John Brennan says something, you shouldn't necessarily believe John Brennan. And we know from what he said in that speech, there were specific details that were inaccurate. So um, Obama's notion of being transparent with John Brennan, a proven liar, doesn't fly. Um, moreover, given that we know now, we didn't know when he made that speech, that John Brennan is the guy who's basically, like I said, the last decision maker before Obama signs off on drone strikes or not, he has a pretty big incentive to spin the process in such a way that he's protected legally. Because if, in fact, they're not using rules, as they appear not to be in all cases, that would abide by international law, he's a quite a bit of exposure. So now we can go out there and claim to be transparent and make this speech about these great standards they're using, um, which they're not, because that you know the speech he made doesn't account for signature strikes, which uh, involve patterns rather than specific intelligence. Um, and it protects him, but it, but it's not transparency. And the, and the administration has repeatedly refused to be transparent on the most basic issues with regards to their program. Growing on the Obama administration to share more information on the deadly attack in Libya. The assault killed U.S. Ambassador Chris Stevens and three other Americans. Congressional Republicans are calling for more testimony and a special committee to investigate. Margaret Brennan is at the State Department. Margaret, good morning. Good morning to you, Charlie and to Nora. Uh, well, Republicans are starting to direct words like impeachment and cover-up at the White House. But Ambassador Thomas Pickering, who oversaw the State Department's own investigation into the attacks, is standing by his assessment. Ambassador Pickering defended his decision not to question then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton as part of the State Department's investigation into the attacks. I don't believe that it was necessary to do that. I don't think that there was anything there that we didn't know. Republicans say the White House did not disclose all of the facts. Senator John McCain is pushing for a congressional investigation. I, I would call it a cover-up in the extent that there was willful removal of information, which was obvious. At issue, why talking points that initially linked the assault to terrorism went through a series of edits, removing words like ties to al-Qaeda and attack, eventually blaming the incident on violent demonstrations. A State Department official first suggested the edits, but an intelligence official tells CBS News that the CIA agreed to them after a meeting at the White House. Officials from many agencies weighed in. 
According to emails obtained by CBS News, CIA Chief David Petraeus disapproved but ultimately signed off. The administration is accused of trying to avoid acknowledging a terrorist attack in the middle of the campaign. Democrats like Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois believe Republicans are trying to smear the former Secretary of State. This has been caught up in the 2016 presidential campaign. This effort to go after Hillary Clinton, they want to bring her in because they think it's a good political show. House Oversight Committee Chairman Darrell Issa, a Republican, said he will investigate. Hillary Clinton's not a target. President Obama's not a target. The target is how did we fail three different ways? Failed to heed the warnings of an impending attack, failed to respond properly during the attack, and then failed to get the truth to the American people. Today, the House Oversight Committee Republicans will invite the two lead investigators into the State Department's probe, Ambassador Pickering and Admiral Mike Mullen, to a closed deposition to discuss their probe into the Benghazi attack. You said before you would be willing to vote for John Brennan uh, to be uh, head of the CIA. You wanted more information about all these emails, and there were hundreds of them, I guess. They went uh, back and forth between members of the administration uh, during that week after the attack on Benghazi. Emails concerning what the administration spokesman who turned out to be Susan Rice would say that following Sunday on the Sunday broadcast, including this one. Have you gotten any information? I understand uh, the administration has the administration, released some They have released some. One, her story is completely collapsed under scrutiny. And I mentioned this to the president. Here's what I want. I want the FBI interviews of the survivors two days after the attack. They were turned over to the Intelligence Committee and everything was blacked out. They're now taking another chance of providing the FBI interviews so you actually can read what they say. Emails around who changing the talking point. There's a big gap. Uh, I want to know who the survivors are so we can go interview them. The, the transmissions from Benghazi to Washington in real time on the night of the attack. What were people asking for? What were they saying? All of that information was given to the committee completely blacked out. And I told the president, this is to learn. I think Benghazi is exhibit A in a failed foreign policy. Thinking behind is not working, and we're trying to find out what happened on that night so we won't have other Benghazis. And I'm not going to vote for Brennan until the CI who said they did change the talking points lets us know who did it and why, and we have a picture of what happened in real time in Benghazi. You're not going to vote for him, but will you try to? I will stop. I think John and I are hell bent on making sure the American people understand this debacle called Benghazi. The FBI and the CIA never talked for weeks. We're going back to pre 9 11 model. We don't know. But the uh, interviews uh, of the survivors tell us there was never a video that spawned a riot. That whole story has just been debunked, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Senator, I've had questions, uh, written questions from Mr. Brennan for nearly three weeks now. We've not received a single answer. I think that we deserve at least an answer to those questions, and I have some questions about torture. So you intend to join Senator Graham and block? No, I, don't, I, I hate to threaten. We hate to, to say, wow, the, the story tomorrow will be McCain and Graham threatened to. Oh, why don't we just get the answers to these questions? They're not they're not tough questions, and they're legitimate questions. But until you get the answers, you're not going, going along. Well, we certainly think we deserve the answers, and I think, it, again, it's our responsibilities on advice and consent to get answers to questions about nominees to important positions. Bob, it's a time-honored tradition in the U.S. Senate that when an administration, any administration, puts somebody forward, the senator has concerns or questions or information uh, that they would like, that there's a give and take. And I'm going to insist on that time on. I'm not going to vote on a new CIA director until I find out what the CIA did and then does. Oh, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure to have you. 60,000 dead. Serious, we still have an act. Thank you. Thank you. You just mentioned David Petraeus's resignation came less than a week before he was supposed to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee about the deadly September 11th attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya. On Friday, the Pentagon released the timeline. 
laying out the events of that day, including the U.S. military's response. And CBS News correspondent Margaret Brennan is on our Washington bureau with more on the story. Margaret, good morning to you. And, and what did we learn from this Pentagon report? And well, good morning to you, Rebecca and Anthony. The attack was over, and the bodies of the four dead Americans had already been airlifted out of Libya 40 minutes before the first U.S. Special Operations Forces were in position. The assault began around 4 p.m. Washington time, and Defense Secretary Panetta was informed shortly after it started. He gave a verbal order to send in military personnel sometime between 6 and 8 p.m., but they did not arrive in Libya until 3 p.m. the next day. Margaret, what military assets were mobilized? Well, Anthony, there were about three units mobilized and deployed. A special operations force from Central Europe, two anti-terrorism security teams were sent from Spain, and a Delta Force unit was sent from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. But here's the controversial part. While the president ordered that all available Pentagon assets respond, Defense Secretary Panetta said that gunships or fixed-wing fighters, quote, were not in the vicinity of Libya, nor postured to be an effective operational option during the time frame of the attack. Now, the Pentagon has come under fire from Senator John McCain and other Republican senators who say military assets should have been on alert, given it was September 11th, they should have been within striking distance. It almost sounds like, Margaret, this opens up as many questions as it answers. That seems to be the way the story has developed, Rebecca, throughout. Um, but we do have three closed-door hearings on Capitol Hill this week. There are going to be representatives from the Pentagon, as you said, the CIA, and the State Department. And investigators are going to ask, you know, were there military options considered and decided against that could have made a difference? The State Department hasn't disclosed whether Ambassador Stevens had requested enhanced security. And the CIA, did they provide the appropriate security response? Last week, the agency acknowledged they had sent in six agents to fight off dozens of attackers. And as you said... Petraeus was scheduled to testify on Thursday because he's resigned. Acting Director Michael Morrell will answer some of these tough questions. Margaret Brennan in Washington. Thanks, Margaret. Two other recommendations from that committee report. One is that the President and Congress be made aware of competing views and theories within the CIA more often. And it suggests that intelligence officers in this instance were put in a political role inappropriately, helping with White House talking points, for example. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I think um, when the White House is going to say something publicly or state public others that is based on developments in the ground, they want to make sure that they're not going to be addressing any type of classified information. And so that interaction between the White House, State Department, and the intelligence community is just very, very natural. So I think it's very important for us to be able to maintain that interaction. And about competing points of view. Well, well I think we do that on a regular basis. Uh, a lot of the analytic products that we provide to the White House and others will have the majority view and minority view. Uh, and what we try to do is to be able to explain to our, our customers what is the prevailing view. But uh, we don't try to hide or suppress uh, the minority views on, on these issues. And John Brennan, the men and women of the CIA will have the leadership of one of our nation's most skilled and respected intelligence professionals. Not to mention that unique combination of smarts and strength that uh, he claims comes from growing up in New Jersey. <laughs> A 25-year veteran of the CIA, John knows what our national security demands. Intelligence that provides policymakers with the facts, strong analytic insights, and a keen understanding of a dynamic world. He literally built and then led the National Counterterrorism Center. And he knows the risks that our intelligence professionals face every day. People here in the White House work hard. But 
John is legendary even in the White House for working hard. He is one of the hardest working public servants I've ever seen. I'm not sure he's slept in four years. Uh, today I can say to the men and women of the CIA, uh, in Director John Brennan, you will have one of your own, uh, a leader who knows you, who cares for you deeply, and who will fight for you every single day. Mr. President, it is indeed a tremendous honor to be nominated to be the Director of the Central Intelligence Agency. The women and men of the CIA are among the most dedicated, courageous, selfless, and hardworking individuals who have ever served this country. At great personal risk and sacrifice, they have made countless invaluable contributions to our national security and to the safety and security of all Americans. Most times, their successes will never be known outside the hollowed halls of Langley and the Oval Office. Leading the agency in which I served for 25 years would be the greatest privilege as well as the greatest responsibility of my professional life. Mr. President, I want to thank you for your confidence in me, but even more for your confidence and constant support to the CIA and to those who serve in the intelligence community. They need and deserve the support of all of their fellow Americans, especially at a time of such tremendous national security challenges. If confirmed as director, I will make it my mission to ensure that the CIA has the tools it needs to keep our nation safe and that its work always reflects the liberties, the freedoms, and the values that we hold so dear. Rizzo was uh, a person who was a top lawyer for the CIA uh, during the Bush years. Uh, he served two terms and uh, covered most of the Bush era. Now, since he was the general counsel, he made the decision on whether to authorize torture or not. Now, John Brennan was at the CIA at the, at the time, working underneath Bush. He later came out and said, oh, man, enhanced interrogation techniques. When I was at the CIA, I mean, I wasn't involved in that program at all, but I would privately tell everybody how much I was opposed to that program. Now, there's never any record of it. There's detailed emails that involve John Brennan knowing about the torture program. There's never an email that says that John Brennan actually objected. Uh, so John Rizzo weighed in on that, and he's, first of all, he says, look, quote, John Brennan is a longtime friend. I hope and trust he will be confirmed I think he'll be an excellent CIA director. So obviously Rizzo is going to back Brennan on the fact that Brennan objected to the program, right? I love this quote. quote. But the fact of the matter is, he never told, he never expressed any concerns to me, and my office was 15 feet away from him. I would have liked to have thought that he would have done so, or at least I would have heard about them because that would have had a great impact on me, because I have great respect for him. Now, so here's a guy who's not opposed to John Brennan, as he says, he likes him, he thinks he'd be an excellent director, etc. And he says, I might have changed my mind if the guy sitting 15 feet from me just came into my office and said, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. That's devastating. Not only did Brennan not say anything and lied about it, but he might have had an impact. He might have made a difference. We might not have tortured people if Brennan actually said something. Rizzo goes on to say, I just never heard from him directly or ever heard that he had expressed any concerns to colleagues. I've talked to other agency veterans, because to tell you the truth, it did mean something to me. It would have been something I would have wanted to know at the time, and I can't find anybody who remembers that. That's not just like a normal elbow from the sky. That's a steel cage match. He got all the way up there 25 feet or so, and was like, whoa, here's what I say to you, Brennan, and your nonsense about, oh, I didn't like the program. And I would secretly whisper to people about how I didn't like the program. Here's a guy who authorized the torture program at the CIA saying, 
I asked everybody. Nobody had ever heard of John Brennan objecting, and if he had objected, it would have made a difference. Don't believe a word out of John Brennan's mouth. Remember, John Brennan is the guy who said in the beginning that we killed no civilians with the drone strikes. Now, Brave New Films has done a devastating video about that that shows you the reality of it. Now it's stark. You're going to see kids who are here who have passed away. So I'm giving you a warning, okay? But this is the reality of life. Watch. Mr. Brennan, please proceed. Thank you, John Feinstein. Maya Zolkan, three years old, South Waziristan, January 23rd, 2007. Noor Said, eight years old, South Waziristan, February 14, 2000. The American people will be quite pleased to know that we've been very disciplined, very judicious, and we only use these capabilities as a last resort. Naim Ula, 10 years old, North Waziristan, October 18, 2010. Tariq Aziz, 16 years old, North Waziristan. I have been a strong proponent of trying to be as open as possible with these programs as far as our explaining what we're doing. What we need to do is optimize transparency in these issues, but at the same time, optimize secrecy and the protection of our national security. Fatima Khan, North Waziristan, May 21st, 2010. Zayed Shah, seven years old. The figures we have obtained from the executive branch Aisha, confirm that the number of civilian casualties has typically been in the single digits. Naeem Khan, North When I ask to give out the actual numbers, I'm told you can't because it's classified. Well, I think that rationale is long gone. Now that's a powerful video because those are journalists that went in and confirmed that number is probably low because they didn't include things that they can't confirm. And you saw the pictures for yourselves. And they say single digits, Diane Feinstein says, to cover up for Brennan. Brennan had ori originally said no civilians were killed. Then he said maybe a few were killed later when that was caught to be an obvious lie. John Brennan lied about the torture program and his knowledge about it and his so-called objections to it. He lied about the drone program. By the way, the new nickname people have given him is Dr. Drone. He's the one that uh, decides who's on the kill list. And you saw who just got killed in some of our drone strikes in that video yourself. And this is the guy we want to be the head of the CIA. This is the guy who and says, oh, he's tortured by the decisions that he makes, and he takes them so seriously, and that, it, that we should trust him because he's a serious man with a serious conscience. I don't trust him. I don't believe a word he says, and he's got no business running the CIA. Do you remember when media used to do their job, regardless of where they sat? Well, yeah, he had no business being the lead in the CIA, but that was his position. He signed off on all those visas, right, for all those pilots. He lived with Obama in Chicago when he ran for Senate, groomed him, put him through neuro-linguistic programming, which we see Vivek is speaking the same language. I mean, when have you ever seen the World Economic Forum scrub information for someone? Pay attention. He had no business being there. And again, these were for target practice. I repeat, target practice. I repeat, target practice and capability proof. Breaking news, the urgent warning tonight, U.S. embassies, U.S. military, all put on alert, bracing for a possible violent backlash, a top-secret report about to be revealed inside how the CIA tortured prisoners. Let's get right to ABC's Chief Global Affairs Correspondent, Marco Radetzen. Marco, we're going to hear some very graphic detail about what happened, and in some cases, even when there was no information gleaned. That's right, David. It's why those diplomatic and military facilities around the globe are bracing for potential violence targeting Americans, because the report is that explosive. 
Despite the risk, the White House said today it supports the release of the report, described as extremely graphic, with shocking detail about waterboarding and other interrogation methods the CIA conducted during the dark days after 9-11. As one person familiar with the report said, it will sound bad. It is harsh. Torture sometimes continuing even after interrogators concluded there was no more information to gain. Waterboarding, the simulated drowning demonstrated here, was halted years ago. But the majority Senate Intelligence Committee findings conclude that the CIA misled the Bush administration about the methods and the results of the coercive interrogation conducted at so-called black sites outside the U.S. The former president is standing by the CIA. These are patriots. And uh, whatever the report says, if it diminishes their contributions to our country, it is way off base. The CIA argues that waterboarding was key, not only in stopping future plots against America, but finding Osama bin Laden. There's going to be disagreement at the end of the day about the value of this information. President Obama has not said definitively whether he thinks torture worked, but today the White House said even if it did, the president does not believe it was worth it. And Martha, we heard from former President Bush there. Now we're learning that Vice President Dick Cheney is also weighing in. He certainly is, David. He told the New York Times tonight that the harsh interrogations were, quote, absolutely, totally justified, dismissing accusations in the Senate report that it was a rogue operation as a bunch of hooey. But make no mistake, David, there are things in this report that will shock many Americans. Martha Rennes, standing by. Let's go to another story from Afghanistan. Rolling Stone has just posted this video online, which shows a prisoner being whipped by Afghan security forces as what appears to be two identified American military officers look on. 
uh, unidentified American military officers look on. Let's go to a clip. This is video is extremely violent and disturbing. <laughs> For those who are just listening, we see what looks like um, uh, Western soldiers at the back of this. Um, can you describe that? This has just gone on Rolling Stone. This appears to be, you know, just want to say we don't know exactly who is in this video. It's not related to the particular team that was in Wardak province, but it appears to be a group of translators and possibly Afghan army soldiers holding down a man and whipping him as they interrogate him. They ask him if he has any weapons and he pleads with them. Um, saying or telling anything as two American soldiers look on by their appearance um, and their, their facial hair they appear to be probably uh, U.S. Army Special Forces Green Berets so they could be military intelligence it could be a few different things the camouflage pattern of their pants um, didn't really show up in Afghanistan um, until 2010-11 so the video is probably relatively recent so where does this all go right now? I mean, <clears throat> so you have the A-team and you think they are sort of quarantined at, uh, at Fort Bragg. Um, the U.S. military says they're investigating this. Um, the U.S. government says they're pulling out of Afghanistan. It's these special forces at this point that would stay, forces like this? Yeah, I think what really is worrying is that as the conventional American forces leave, this dirty war is just going to be handed off to special forces in the CIA and they're going to have carte blanche to, you know, stick around for scenes like that, to work with allies who are known abusers of human rights, uh, to transfer detainees into prisons where we know people are being tortured, and just escape any form of oversight or uh, congressional, you know, uh, oversight, for example, because they follow the rubric of covert or classified operations. Americans had a chance to digest the 500 plus pages detailing the horrors that 119 men went through at the hands of CIA interrogators, up to a week of not sleeping, forced enemas, beatings, repeated waterboardings. Despite CIA claims it was those harsh interrogation techniques that led to the killing of Osama bin Laden, the report says it didn't, and it didn't stop any plots. It accuses CIA officials of lying to the White House, Congress, the American public. The charge former director, Michael Hayden, denies. If everyone on the planet used CIA behavior as the model, the overall treatment of detainees on Earth would actually improve. World leaders disagree. The president of Afghanistan has called for an investigation after the report said there was evidence CIA used waterboarding at this secret prison in Afghanistan. Uh, this is really painful. The report indicates that some of our countrymen who were tortured were totally innocent. The former president of Poland, who allowed a secret site, says this will hurt U.S. security in the future. The Americans, by publishing this report, in large part lose their allied abilities because in a new situation, every country will be wondering to what extent it can be trusted that some operations, sometimes on the verge of illegality, but crucial for security, will be possible to implement. Our reaction focused on the issue of human rights. For Moran, torture is shameful. China, 
the U.S. should clean up its own backyard first. And Russia, a further stain on the already stained U.S. reputation on human rights. The Obama administration is still insisting no one who was involved will be prosecuted. There was a career federal prosecutor who was assigned to this case, uh, and that this individual uh, conducted a, an extensive inquiry. Uh, and uh, upon looking looking at the facts and evidence, I uh, decided not to pursue uh, an indictment. That violates treaties the U.S. has signed, but experts say there's no way to force the president to act. It took the Obama administration saying that we're going to look forward to not back to lose World War II central finishing legal. Torture equals jail is no longer true, and that's not the Bush administration's fault. That's the Obama administration's fault. The administration says few other countries would admit their mistakes so publicly, and for now they say just doing that is enough. Patty Colleen, Al Jazeera, Washington. Who else did that WikiLeaks? The organization that that that, that produced these leaks about the Democrats uh, in this in the election, founded by Julian Assange. He told me in an interview last fall. He reiterated just in the last couple of days that WikiLeaks did not get this information. From the Russians uh, or from any state actor. So, how did that square with what you said? Well, he's not exactly a bastion of, of truth and integrity. Uh, and so, therefore, I wouldn't uh, ascribe to uh, any of these uh, uh, individuals making comments uh, that it is uh, providing the, the whole unvarnished truth. Uh, again, this report is going to include what it is that we know about what happened, uh, what was collected, uh, what was disclosed, uh, and uh, what the purpose and intent of, of that effort was. Will it make clear what the connection was between the Russians and WikiLeaks, how WikiLeaks got it? Yeah, I'm not going to get ahead of this report coming out. Uh, it, these are things that will be addressed and are addressed. The CIA director's personal emails posted online after cyber criminals said they broke it into his AOL account. Our justice reporter, Evan Perez, has been looking at the documents posted by WikiLeaks. So far, I take it, uh, Evan, none of the information appears to be classified. Is that right? That's right. Well, this is uh, very personal information, but as expected, so far, nothing classified. All of the documents posted are from before 2009, before John Brennan joined the White House and then moved over to the CIA. Uh, there's a government form that Brennan filled out in order to get his security clearance. It has personal information about his medical health, uh, information about his wife and friends, and there's a few papers that he wrote, including ones about intelligence and about Iran. Uh, the CIA just provided this statement to us a, a little while ago. It says, quote, this attack is something that could happen to anyone and should be condemned, not promoted. There's no indication that any, uh, any of these documents released thus far are classified. Well, that's a very important part of this uh, because of, uh, uh, WikiLeaks and these hackers have said that they had this, were advertising this as, as very sensitive information, perhaps classified. So far, none of that seems to be the case. Is uh, the FBI or other law enforcement agencies, Evan, any uh, closer to making an arrest? Well, they have some They have some clues as, as to who they believe uh, is behind this, well, but they're, they're having a hard time. Uh, this goes to, show, show, uh, goes to show you how tough it is to find people hiding behind the anonymity of the Internet the anonymity of the internet i mean he was using america well he was using aol and rocket mail <laughs> come on you asked for it these hackers use very unsophisticated methods to do this they trick customer service people into giving them access to these accounts but so far they're outrunning the fbi 
Earlier this week, mystery hackers tried to disable the WikiLeaks website. Now, WikiLeaks supporters have begun a global retaliation. Curious that Mastercard has begun refusing to process cash donations intended for WikiLeaks on Wednesday, angry internet activists launched a massive cyber assault on the company, disabling its website. Visa and PayPal, who've also suspended services to WikiLeaks, are also being targeted. A WikiLeaks spokesman refused to condemn the hackers, instead describing the finance company's actions as unparalleled. 8,000 documents, haven't read them all yet, but what they appear to be, or what they claim to be, is from the CIA Center for Cyber Intelligence. So here's some sauce. And I want you guys to pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. As you see, you weren't aware that there was financial censorship before. I mean, obviously, they painted Assange as, you know, a, a terrorist leaking information and emails and whatever, right? But, you know, I'm going to tell you this again for those of you that have been banned, because I have. If you have been canceled by PayPal, by Twitter, by Facebook, by Instagram, by Twitch, by anything, the reason the companies do this is not just to punish you if you were, you know, on YouTube making a shit ton of money for videos, right? It's to be able to, based on their internal policies, to hand over everything to authorities. And as what happened with Assange, and I could tell you, because I saw this happen with my eyes while they went through the data, hence why I'm making this statement so assertively, is they were looking to see who communicated with him. See if you can get the financials, you know, of who was donating to him through PayPal or whatever, you could possibly find IP addresses. Then you correlate that with, you know, the Tor network and access to it. And then you can dwindle it down to handful of people that could have leaked the stuff. But, you know, usually the people that leak things like that to people like Julian Assange already know that's going to happen. So they're smarter. So I'm just putting that out there for those that, you know, thought that censorship was something new and financial censorship was something new. And this is coming from someone that's been super banned. But you're still on YouTube, barely. But do you think I, uh, you know, <laughs> don't use digital camouflage as much as I can? Why do you think I'm streaming this and then taking it off? Seriously. Same. There's a difference between words and actions. And when words don't mass match the actions, but they retreat into foxholes rather than stay bullish and admit defeat, well, then you could see. I mean, I've been banned by my bank, PayPal, Cash App, blah, 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 blah. So my personal stuff has all been banned, including my, you know, business banking, which I kept, you know, I'm my own 1099, right? <laughs> and that was banned too. So when people say, I'm the most banned, I'm only on this little corner of the internet. You don't have to stay in the corner. You just have to keep fighting on the main stage. That's the way it is. But anyway, again, just pointing out this has happened before, but none of you were paying attention to say, wait a minute, you cut off their banking under what authority? Ah, key question there. So leaked documents about the CIA's technical capability to carry out hacking 
into electronic devices, things like um, Android phones, iPhones, even in one interesting document, Samsung Smart TV, so it can make it look like the TV is off, when in fact it's on and actually collecting audio from the room and sending it back. A joint operation is claimed with Britain's MI5. So pretty extraordinary allegations about the capabilities the CIA has in hacking on into electronic devices. So extraordinary, but also obviously embarrassing. Yes, I mean, these haven't been independently authenticated. The CIA says it won't comment on, on these kind of documents, on their authenticity or their content. But yes, it does look at first sight as if these may well be real documents. And if so, it's a very embarrassing leak from the CIA. The NSA had hit its huge disaster in its terms when Edward Snowden revealed lots of its secrets. It now looks like the CIA has got similar problems with someone revealing its covert technical capabilities. Julian, I want to mention something else. In March, uh, you launched a searchable archive for over 30,000 emails and email attachments sent to and from Hillary Clinton's private email server while she was Secretary of State. The 50,547 pages of documents uh, span the time from June 2010 to August 2014. 7,500 documents were sent by Hillary Clinton herself. The emails were made available in the form of thousands of PDFs by the U.S. State Department as a result of a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, uh, why did you do this and what's the importance for, uh, from your perspective of, of being able to create a searchable base? Oh, WikiLeaks has become uh, the rebel library of Alexandria. Uh, it is the single uh, most significant uh, collection of information that doesn't exist elsewhere. Um, in a searchable, accessible, citable form about how modern institutions actually behave. And it's gone on to set people free from prison. Uh, we've often seen this in their court cases, uh, hold the CIA accountable uh, for uh, renditions programs, uh, feed into election cycles, which results in the termination, of, in some cases, uh, or contributed to the uh, termination of governments in some cases, taking the heads of intelligence agencies and institutions of defense and so on. So, you know, our, our civilization can only be as good as our knowledge of what our civilization is. We can't possibly hope to reform that which we do not understand. So those uh, Hillary Clinton uh, emails, they connect together uh, with the tables that we have published. Uh, Hillary Clinton creating a, a rich picture of how uh, Hillary Clinton uh, performs in office, but more broadly, how um, the U.S. Department of State uh, operates. So, for example, uh, the disastrous, absolutely disastrous uh, intervention uh, in Libya, the destruction of the uh, Gaddafi government, uh, which led to the occupation uh, of ISIS, the large segments of uh, that country, uh, weapons flows going over to, to Syria, uh, being pushed uh, by Hillary Clinton uh, into um, jihadists um, in Syria, including ISIS. And that's there in those emails. There's more than 1,700 uh, emails in Hillary Clinton's uh, collection that we've released, uh, just about Libya alone. Learned from the WikiLeaks that you said this, and I want to quote. Hillary is so corrupt. And we're going to drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. No concrete allegation that U.S. intelligence services is material that we have published uh, comes uh, from the intelligence service. 
While there haven't been any official allegations from the U.S., President Barack Obama made a not-so-subtle implication just after the hack took place. What the motives were in terms of the leaks, all that, uh, I can't say directly. Uh, what I do know is that um, Donald Trump has repeatedly expressed admiration for uh, Vladimir I want to continue with the doubters because Donald Trump himself has been questioning this, saying, how do we know it's the Russians um, who's pointed to the fact that, in fact, he's said a number of times now that the CIA has been wrong before. He keeps referring to the uh, the uh, allegations that there were indeed, weapons, right. yes, Iraq weapons of mass destruction, right. which was wrong. And in the aftermath of that, there was a total review of the review process and the analytic process and the assessments that are done with the intelligence community with a number of steps that were taken to make sure that we're going to be as, as accurate as possible. And so it's been light years since that Iraq WMD report was done, and uh, there has been tremendous, I think, uh, further development of our analytic capabilities as well as our intelligence collection capabilities. There is no intelligence community worldwide that has the capabilities, the expertise, the analytic capability as the U.S. intelligence community. And so I would suggest to individuals who have not yet seen the report or not given briefing on it, that they uh, wait and see what it is that uh, the intelligence community is putting forward before they make Start this morning and a good Wednesday morning to you all with uh, President-elect Donald Trump clashing with the intelligence community before getting briefed on those Russian hacking allegations. Trump fired off a skeptical tweet claiming the briefing had been delayed, but intelligence sources say that's not the case. And WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is also weighing in, insisting the hacked emails that embarrassed Democrats before the election did not come from Russia. ABC's Janae Norman is following the overnight developments in Washington, D.C. Good morning, Janae. Candace and Diane, good morning. So that briefing centers on allegations Russians hacked the DNC with intentions to influence the election. Allegations President-elect Trump, Russian President Vladimir Putin, and uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange continue to deny. The President-elect throwing shade on the U.S. intelligence community tweeting, the intelligence briefing on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday, perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. But intelligence officials say that briefing was always scheduled for Friday. It's the latest in the election hacking scandal that found the president-elect aligned with a fugitive computer activist, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, telling Fox News' Sean Hannity Russia was not the source of stolen DNC emails. We can say, and we have said, uh, repeatedly uh, over the last two months uh, that our source uh, is not the Russian government uh, and it is not state party. But officials say those emails were in fact delivered to WikiLeaks by a middleman for the Russians. Whether Assange is a knowing participant or what the Russians call a useful idiot, uh, that's hard to tell. Meanwhile in Washington, House Republicans doing an about-face. First, behind closed doors, voting to protect themselves by gutting the Office of Congressional Ethics created to make sure they play by the rules. Then, Trump tweeting, with all that Congress has to work on, do they really have to make the weakening of the independent ethics watchdog as unfair as it may be their number one act in priority? And finally, a last-minute meeting and unanimous decision to delay, heavily influenced by those tweets. Yes, it animated the press. Here in Washington, people didn't see this one coming today. This relates to 2017. It's come from Julian Assange's lawyer, uh, who has essentially said that through this former Republican congressman, Dana Rohrabacher, Donald Trump offered Julian Assange a pardon he wanted uh, in the U.S. of course on 18 counts 
of endangering national security related to that release of classified information. But he could have a pardon for that if Julian Assange denied that Russia had any involvement in the hacking of those DNC National Committee emails in the run-up to the 2016 election. Now, those emails were, I think, at worst embarrassing for the Democrats, and the detail had uh, them undermining Bernie Sanders, who was, of course, running against Hillary Clinton at the time. But it was a very big moment that was certainly perceived as potentially damaging in the run-up to the election. Now, one of the very interesting things here is that Julian Assange did just that. I remember he went on Fox News at the time, spoke to Sean Hannity, who was effectively an advisor to Donald Trump, and said that the Russian government was not the source um, that gave them those emails, because the allegation is, of course, that Russia hacked the emails and WikiLeaks actually leaked them. So he did that. Uh, so, you know, if, if this is all true, then where is Julian Assange's pardon? Did you find direct evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Putin in Moscow while you were there? <clears throat> Ms. Rooney, I, I never was an FBI agent, I never was a prosecutor, so I really don't do evidence. I do intelligence throughout the course of my, my career. As an intelligence professional, uh, what we try to do is to make sure that we provide all relevant information to uh, the Bureau if there is an investigation underway that they are looking into criminal activity. As I mentioned in my opening statement, I was convinced uh, in the summer that the Russians were trying to interfere in the election. And they were very aggressive. They had it was a multifaceted effort. And I wanted to make sure that we were able to expose as much of that as possible. But was there intelligence that said that the Trump campaign was colluding with Moscow during their campaign? It was intelligence that the Russian intelligence services were actively involved in this effort and having been involved in many counterintelligence cases in the past. I know what the Russians try to do. They try to suborn individuals and they try to get individuals, including U.S. persons, to act on their behalf, either wittingly or unwittingly. And I was uh, worried by a number of the contacts that the Russians had with U.S. persons. And so therefore, by the time I left office on January 20th, I had unresolved questions in my mind as to whether or not the Russians had been successful in getting U.S. persons involved in the campaign or not to work on their behalf, again, either in a witting or unwitting fashion. And so, therefore, I felt as though the FBI investigation was uh, certainly uh, well-founded and needed to look into those issues. Did evidence exist? of collusion, coordination, conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian state actors at the time you learned of 2016 I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the Trump campaign. Oh, gosh darn it. Push the wrong button, because I wanted to say, if you remember, it was the unmasking, right? It was the unmasking that they did um, to demonstrate that, you know, General Flynn was talking to Russians, which he knew they were going to do. He knew that they were going to do that, which will lead into what I'm going to tell you after this documentary is over.
Remember that. There's no way he didn't know. If I knew that he was unmasked in 2016 by Ambassador Taft in Russia, he definitely knew. They try to get individuals, including U.S. persons, to act on their behalf, either wittingly or unwittingly. And I was uh, worried by a number of the contacts that the Russians had with U.S. persons. And so therefore, by the time I left office on January 20th, I had unresolved questions in my mind as to whether or not the Russians had been successful in getting U.S. persons involved in the campaign or not to work on their behalf, again, either in a witting or unwitting fashion. And so, therefore, I felt as though the FBI investigation was uh, certainly uh, well-founded and needed to look into those issues. Did evidence exist of collusion, coordination, conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russian state actors at the time you learn of 2016 efforts. I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the Trump campaign that um, I was concerned about because... Why was he concerned when the discussions with Kislyak were normal? That's a question everybody should ask. Why was he suddenly concerned? What was it that he was concerned about is the question. Think about it. Because it was inevitable that General Flynn would be talking to such leaders, obviously entering into the position, because that's who he's talking about. So I want you to think about it for a second. Why him? Because of known Russian efforts to suborn such individuals, and it uh, raised questions in my mind, again, whether or not the Russians were able to gain the cooperation of those individuals. I don't know whether or not such collusion, that's your term, such collusion existed. I don't know. But I know that there was a sufficient basis of information and intelligence that required further uh, investigation by the Bureau to determine whether or not U.S. persons were actively conspiring, colluding with Russian well, on Twitter, you may read former CIA head John Brennan spouting off about the political news of the day, attacking the president's dishonesty, he says. But it turns out Brennan himself is a liar. He's been caught lying, odd, for a government official. Last year, for example, Brennan told Congress that the infamous Steele dossier had no influence at all on the intel community's claim that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. Here's a selection. Do you know who commissioned the Steele dossier? I don't. Did the CIA rely on it? No. Why not? Because we, we did, we, it wasn't part of the corpus of intelligence uh, information that we had. It was not in any way used as a basis for the intelligence community assessment that was done. Ooh, busted liar. By the way, Brandon, you should know this, is an NBC and MSNBC paid contributor now. Uh, two top former intel officials, though, dispute his claim when you just heard that the dossier formed no part of the corpus of intelligence used uh, by our government to spy on the Trump campaign. Retired National Security Agency Director Michael Rogers and former Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper both admit now that the Steele dossier and its Clinton campaign funded allegations did, in fact, influence the intel community assessment. We knew that, but it seems to hear it confirmed. Molly Hemingway is Senior Editor at The Federalist, and she joins us tonight. Molly, a lot of, I know you've been following this carefully, a lot of these stories seem to lead back to this, this guy, John Brennan. 
Um, and you'd think as the former head of the CIA, he's someone you'd be able to trust, but he seems not only a liar, but an inept one. We have a problem with multiple heads of intelligence agencies, and that does include Brennan, who has a history of lying specifically about spying on American citizens. So it's difficult to hold yes. him, uh, take him seriously. But we've also had problems with falsehoods being said also by James Clapper, who gave inconsistent testimony about his leaking to the media. And we have also had problems with uh, James Comey himself, whether he understands what a leak is and, and how he has been involved in it. But one of the things that's interesting is Clapper and Comey have been so much a part of this story, and we've seen their names a great deal. But Brennan has been able to kind of stay out of the limelight until recently, where people are starting to piece together just how integral he was to the entire Russia narrative. So, for instance, he actually... Time. Uh, please go ahead. Yeah, he actually launched the investigation. He he's bragged about how he was involved in launching the investigation. He also was really key in briefing Harry Reid, which Harry Reid has said he understood that he was being briefed by Brennan specifically so he would leak that information and get it out to the media and also pressure James Comey. And then, uh, you know, these other things that are interesting that are coming out now about how he claimed that the dossier wasn't used, which made no sense already because we know the dossier was used to secure a wiretap against someone in the Russia investigation. And also, it just right. you know, it just stands to reason that it would have been included. But now we actually have people who are who do have a little bit more integrity, particularly Mike Rogers, saying that, of course, it was used in the intelligence uh, community assessment. It's becoming clear that a lot of the secrecy surrounding these activities is designed not to protect the United States from foreign threats, but to protect the misdeeds of the people gathering the intelligence. It's CYA. Yes, it does seem that that has, that has become a big part of the, of the operation. Whether people got in over their head, whether they were led astray by Brennan and they did things that maybe they shouldn't have done, it does seem that a lot of what we've seen in the last few months is about uh, attempting to keep people from finding out the full extent of what was happening. Today, the New York Times did report, uh, based on just a widespread leaking from people who were involved in the investigation, that yes, uh, people are now admitting they were spying on the Trump campaign in a fairly widespread fashion. It wasn't just Carter Page, it was four top officials. They weren't just using FISA wiretaps, they were also using national security letters and human intelligence, at least one human intelligence source. So this is, this is busting wide open, and I think people will start demanding a little bit more in terms of just what the FBI and other intelligence agencies were thinking when they began spying on the political campaign of a major party. Liberals used to be worried about things like this. What can you tell us about these notes that you wrote about this Russian intelligence? Uh, and what do you make of DNI Ratcliffe releasing them right now? <laughs> well, John Ratcliffe is anything but an intelligence professional. He is appalling. His selective declassification of information that clearly is designed to advance the political interests of Donald Trump and uh, Republicans who are aligned with him. But uh, these were my notes from the 2016 period when I briefed President Obama and the rest of the National Security Council team about what the Russians were up to. And I was giving examples of the type of access that the U.S. intelligence community had to Russia, Russian information and what the Russians were talking about and alleging. Now, if, in fact, what the Russians were alleging, that Hillary was trying to highlight the reported uh, connections between Trump and the Russians, if, in fact, that was accurate, and that's a big if, there is nothing at all illegal about that. And so John Radcliffe and others are trying to portray this as potentially unlawful activity that deserved follow-up investigation by the FBI. No, it was a campaign activity. But again, I was giving examples to the president and others of the types of access we had. And I was blind to whether it referred to one candidate or the other. I was blind to whether it referred to one party or the other. And what I might also point out, I know that John Ratcliffe released a memo that was sent over to the FBI. It's called a CIOL, which is a counterintelligence operation lead, which was, again, a very selective release in declassification. There are a lot of other CIOLs that talk about the contacts that were taking place between individuals 
associated with the Trump campaign and the Russians. So uh, he might want to think about trying to balance uh, some of these releases by providing uh, information to the American public about what the intelligence community had unearthed during this period of time about Russia's uh, interactions with uh, those uh, involved in the, uh, the Trump campaign. So we begin tonight with President Trump, who again defended his decision to revoke the security clearance of former CIA director John Brennan. Mr. Trump doubled down, attacking Brennan on Twitter, calling him the worst director in history. It all comes as the president says he's reviewing the security clearances of nine others, many of whom have been critical of him, some with links to the Russia investigation. Errol Barnett is traveling with the president in New Jersey. From his Bedminster Golf Club, President Trump resumed his attacks on former CIA director John Brennan days after revoking his security clearance, questioning Brennan's leadership of the agency, calling him a, quote, loudmouth partisan political pack who cannot be trusted with the secrets to our country. I think he's out of control. In his first TV interview since being stripped of his security clearance, Brennan says he is considering legal action. These are not normal times. These are, quite frankly, very frightening times. He's drunk on power. He really is. And I think he's abusing the powers of that office. Two letters of support for Brennan's right to express his views have been signed by more than 70 former intelligence officials, including CIA directors from each administration since President Reagan. President Trump refutes the notion he is silencing critics and makes the issue for the Russia probe. I say it, I say it again. That whole situation is a rigged with us. According to the Washington Post, the White House drafted paperwork President may sign at any moment to revoke security clearances of other intelligence officials, including a current employee of the Justice Department. I think that Bruce Orr is in disgrace with his wife Nellie. For him to be in the Justice Department and to be doing what he did, that is a disgrace. Errol, President Trump weighed in on his White House lawyer Don McGahn meeting with the special counsel. What more can you tell us? That's right, the president is responding to reports that McGahn, over the past nine months, voluntarily sat with the special counsel for interviews that totaled roughly 30 hours. President Trump tweeting that he allowed Don McGahn and all other requested members of the White House staff to fully cooperate with the special counsel, saying there's been no collusion or obstruction. Now, some saw this news as evidence that McGahn perhaps had damaging information that he would be able to provide the special counsel about the president's thinking that would be required in any obstruction of justice charge. But uh, former Trump lawyer John Dow tells CBS News that he thinks McGahn would be a good witness for President Trump. And the White House says both Trump and McGahn have I am going to do whatever I can personally to try to prevent these abuses in the future. And if it means going to court, I will, I will do that. I have seen the lights blinking red in terms of what Mr. Trump has done and is doing. I think I need to speak out. And so I've been speaking out rather forcefully because I believe it's important to do so. Uh, I don't believe I'm being political at all. <laughs> That's the funny part right there. Let's bring in Newt Gingrich, Fox's contributor, former Speaker of the House. He ran for president and the author of Trump's America, out now. Mr. Speaker, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, why do you think so yeah. many Republicans are, are going after John Brennan? He just admitted. He said, I don't think I'm political at all. What's your problem with him? Well, the problem with him is he's totally out of touch with reality. I mean, how would you like to have a director of central intelligence uh, so lacking in common sense that he thinks he can write a tweet accusing the president of the United States of, of uh, the equivalent of treason, high crimes and misdemeanors, and then explain that he's really not political? Look, John Brennan is totally political. He was basically a toady to President Obama. He participated in lying to the American people about what happened in Libya and Benghazi. Uh, and frankly, Brennan should never have been director of the Central Intelligence. And it's, it's a little disheartening to watch the old boys club get together and write a collective letter, which they did this weekend, in defending Brennan. Uh, there is no natural right to retain your security clearance. 
the president has every right to set up a procedure for repealing it. And in the case of Brennan, his public activities, I think, right. more than justify repealing it. Finally, he was the head of the CIA during the period they claimed yeah. the Russians were engaged in trying to affect the election. Why isn't Brennan a little humble mm -hmm. by his total failure? Absolutely. If he opened up with that, I felt as though I dropped the ball for the American people and failed. Uh, as we have heard people say in the past when they have failed, he failed. Now, a couple of things. I get the sense that we have not fully looked into what Brennan did and didn't do leading up to the Russia part of this investigation and why Trump was being investigated. Why was the FBI dealing with Christopher Steele? What did he know about this? Uh, the whole dossier leading up? He acted oblivious. I remember Trey Gowdy's question about when he first found out about it. My sense is that those people who are running to his defense might just be pretty embarrassed shortly. Look, I think I think part of what you see here is desperation. Uh, when you look at uh, certain Obama-era people, uh, they know that, in fact, they're at the heart of this. Uh, with, I think it's reasonable to guess, and it's a guess right now because we don't have the data, that, in fact, it was, it was uh, Brennan's CIA which uh, led the FBI to the dossier in Britain, uh, and that, in fact, the people were tied closer to the CIA than they were to the FBI. But, but the deeper point is this. It is an open and shut case with zero question that Brennan was engaged in lying to the American people about Benghazi, knew that they, everything they were saying was a lie, went along with the lie, and that's why you have the sickness mm -hmm. that you have at the heart of our establishment. These people were all willing to lie to the country and, and return for whatever political games they were playing, and they all thought they'd be protected because they all thought Hillary would win and Hillary would take care of them. And they're all terrified because the more we learn, the worse they look. In the very beginning, exactly what John Durham was going to conclude, and that's what we saw today. We knew from the very beginning this was never a legitimate investigation. This was a political errand to exact some sort of retribution of Donald Trump's perceived enemies in the FBI. That's what Mr. Durham is And you stand by the original Russia investigation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, the mistakes with the Carter Page FISA were, were regrettable, should never have happened. And had I known about those mistakes in the packages, I never would have signed those applications. And shame on us for not knowing. But that's all business that the IG presented to America in, what, 2019, 2019, I think. I yeah, there is absolutely nothing new in this report. And I stand by the investigative decisions that we made open the investigation first on the Trump campaign and the possibility that the Russians are trying to influence it, and then later on Donald Trump himself. Now, before this most recent presidential election, the national security experts I know uh, all spoke to me about how worried they were about foreign interference in our election. Uh, yet we held the election, and as far as we can tell, or as far as I can tell, it seems foreign interference has been absolutely minimal, arguably even zero. So what happened? Or what changed? Why did all the experts get this wrong? I read hundreds of mainstream media articles about forthcoming foreign interference. They all cited experts. Where is it? No one's talking about it. Well, I think we, you know, it's still unclear how much the uh, interference was. Um, I think the impact probably was um, less than a lot of people But I think there's no doubt that Russia and China and Iran, other countries can try to use the social media environment to push out uh, their narratives that they wanted to influence the minds and the votes of American citizens. Um, and, but I think this, you know, this past election, the social media environment as well as the regular environment, information environment, is just so overloaded with such misinformation, disinformation, it's hard to really distinguish what was coming from abroad that was uh, inaccurate and disinformation from I think this is almost a feature in the future. Now, I do think that the U.S. 
cyber experts um, in FBI and states and public homeland security did a good job of trying to ensure that there was no technical intrusions that really would be uh, significant. Um, and I think they learned some lessons in the last four years of the 2016 election. So I think we were better prepared to prevent those types of technical intrusions that we were certainly worried about, but that uh, the influence operations in that digital environment are still fighting. Collins, who was the ranking member on the House Judiciary, and Doug, I want to ask you about all of this that you're uh, spot on on in terms of Hillary Clinton's culpability. How come we never see any accountability? I mean, you're talking about Hillary Clinton and this cover-up, and then Jim Comey, uh, Andrew McCabe, and, and Peter Strzok. Do you think that the in, the indictments will lead to the FBI from John Durham? They need to, because that's where this is, you know, you go back and you look at where this all started. And Maria, you've helped for so long, you know, point this out, but I will say not only the FBI, Comey and Strzok and McCabe ought to be very concerned about uh, Durham's investigation. But I'm going to say Brennan and Clapper, remember, they were the ones who actually briefed Obama about the entire plot from Hillary Clinton to try and paint Donald Trump with Russia. They've got to be some accountability. Yeah, we have a picture of John Brennan in uh, the Oval Office with President Obama explaining, uh, and we know now the notes, because John John, uh, John Ratcliffe exposed those notes, showing that Brennan told Obama that Hillary Clinton was cooking up this idea uh, to, to tie Donald Trump. So they all knew, they all were were aware of what was going on. Just a short while ago, just the news obtained this email. This is a very important email. It comes from the former CIA director, Mike Morrell. Yes, the guy that organized that letter from the 51 intelligence professionals who tried to fake you into thinking that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russia disinformation when it wasn't. Uh, it is between him and John Brennan, one of the signatories. You know who John Brennan is. He was Obama's CIA director, right? He's the guy that told Obama, hey, Hillary Clinton is doing a dirty trick on Donald Trump called Russia collusion. Well, this is just before the presidential debate between Donald Trump and, Hunter, uh, and uh, Joe Biden. Hunter Biden's laptop is, is flinging out there. This is what Mike Morrell, former CIA director, tells his successor, John Brennan, hey, Sign this letter because I'm, quote, trying to give the campaign, particularly during the debate on Thursday, a talking point to push back on Trump on this issue. A man with a security clearance, a man with the title of CIA director, knew that he wasn't creating an intelligence product, uh, a, a merit civic duty with 51 people. He was trying to create a political moment. Damning evidence. We'll try to find out if Congress has this letter, but this is a very important piece, and it's the ultimate proof that what went out on that letter was a political dirty trick coordinated with the Biden. So let's get back to Mike Morrell. So we told you last week Mike Morrell was a guy that circulated the intelligence letter that dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation when it wasn't. He had just left the CIA. In 2012, we're all familiar with the story of how he edited the talking points to edit out uh, al-Qaeda's terrorism role in the attack on Benghazi, which misled the American people, led to a false TV appearance by one of his colleagues. Today, we're going to put him in the middle of the Russia collusion story. Here is the timeline. On January 28, 2016, the CIA director at the time, John Brennan, we all know him well, he went uh, to President Obama and said, hey, Hillary Clinton is going to hang a false Russia story on Donald Trump to distract from her own email scandal. So the president was aware. The FBI later gets alerted to the same information that this whole Russia collusion thing is a dirty trick by Hillary Clinton. In between those two events, just seven days after Brennan's warning to Obama, uh, Mike Morrell, the former deputy CIA director, came out, wrote a column for the New York Times, and said, I'm not making this up, 
that Donald Trump is an unwitting agent of Vladimir Putin. That's right. He had been recruited. He was an agent. He was the first major intelligence official to come out and drive the Russia narrative immediately. The Clinton campaign used his comments to spread that idea. Of course, it sets up the Steele dossier, the eventual FBI investigation, all the things that we know after the first two things. This intelligence official was involved in three separate election interventions. Benghazi, while Barack Obama is running for election, uh, Russia collusion, Hillary Clinton was running, and of course, now we know Hunter Biden and Biden in the 2020 election. Everybody wants to know, you know, we, we look at all this, we've got all these whistleblowers. Does this go anywhere? Uh, are, are these allegations criminal? Will they be prosecuted? Or does this just disappear like it so often does in Washington? Well, Rob, well, I mean, we just got the John Durham report. It confirms basically what we already knew. But it's only looking at the Russian collusion hoax. You can go back in time when Obama weaponized the IRS with Willis Lerner against Tea Party groups and take a look at uh, how the IRS corruptly edited James Comey's exoneration email and let Hillary Clinton off the hook. And the same cast of characters that, that edited that exoneration email, that was crossed by a hurricane team. Now, fast forward to the first impeachment, where we still have a track down the whistleblower, uh, the collusion between the whistleblower and the House Intelligence Committee chairman, uh, uh, Adam Schiff. Uh, then, fast forward to the 2020 election. And uh, how about in 2020 when Senator Grassley and I were investigating Hunter Biden and all the media was accusing us of soliciting and disseminating Russian disinformation? We, we know in August 2023, whistleblower that the FBI developed a scheme to downplay the derogatory information on Hunter Biden. That same month, we got an unsolicited briefing by the FBI. We still don't know who directed that briefing, even though we've asked in three public letters. But again, they, we, were rushing, we were targeting Russian disinformation. They leaked that briefing to smear us. But also, they did it to preempt any any disclosure of the laptop. So when the laptop came public, then the intelligence officials, they kicked into high gear, led by Anthony Blinken, our current Secretary of State, who lied to my investigators in December 2020 when he said, I never emailed Hunter Biden, but he did. We have the email. So this is a long continuation of corruption within the Democratic Party, within federal law enforcement agencies, the FBI, Department of Justice, the intel community, and of course, the complicit and corrupt a couple of excerpts for you. This was from The Intercept. This was two years ago. They have been reporting on this. They've been reporting on these former Obama officials helping Silicon Valley pitch the Pentagon for lucrative defense contracts. Now, they brought up these names. Little did they know that these names would be the names that are now going to be in the highest levels of government sitting in the cabinet. Says right here, West Exec's story will be a familiar one for those who keep track of how private companies wrangle government contracts through the help of officials walking through the revolving door between public service and businesses that take in large amounts of government cash. The revolving door is a long-standing feature of the military-industrial complex, and it can lead to distorted policy decisions based on the financial interests of former government government employees who use their expertise and contacts in the government to press policies that may or may not be in the national interest. You think? Oh, when you're making billions of dollars, that has nothing to do with national interests. In the May interview with The Intercept, Flournoy, Michelle Flournoy, explained the types of former officials who work with West Exec. People recently coming out of government, she said. Mostly deputies who have current knowledge, expertise, contacts, networks. She says, we, t- we help tech firms who are trying to figure out how to sell in the public sector space to navigate the DOD, the Department of Defense, the Intel community, law enforcement. The company provides comprehensive government relations and other nuanced stakeholder mapping strategies 
to help them advance their objectives. Not our objectives as the American people. No, these are government now officials who are going to be sitting at Biden's, cap- Biden's cabinet. They, no, they didn't work to, uh, to uh, advance the, uh, the interests of the American people and the objectives of the American people. Oh, no, they, they worked really hard and made a lot of money, became really rich, advancing the objectives of big tech companies wanting to secure billions of dollars in defense contracts. That's what they did. This is your government, everybody. It says, according to the website, the client list is confidential and their work is largely done behind closed doors. Surprise, surprise, right? Uh, it goes on here. West Exec Advisors was co-founded by Anthony Blinken, a former Deputy Secretary of State in the Obama administration, and the firm touts an impressive array of other retired senior officials, including the former U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Daniel Shapiro, and Lisa Monaco, a former counterterrorism advisor to Barack Obama. Lisa Monaco is now on the Biden transition team. So a number of the people who were with West Exec are now with Biden's transition team. But like I mentioned, Tony Blinken, who was the founder of West Exec, alongside Michelle Flournoy, is now going to be Secretary of State. Avril Haines, who is, um, uh, you know, she's with our national security as well. She's on the team, and she is also a principal. With, she was a principal with West Exec. So we've got a lot of conflicts of interest here. Here is another article. This one was done from Politico. This was uh, the secretive consulting firm that's become Biden's cabinet in waiting. So this is a more recent article, uh, just last week here. It says the firm, so talking about West Exec, the firm, which now looks like a government in waiting for the next administration, was founded in 2017 by Tony Blinken, president-elect Joe Biden's choice for secretary of state, and Michelle Flournoy, a top contender for secretary of defense, and one of its former principals, Avril Haines, is Biden's pick for director of national intelligence. But little is known about West Exec's client list because its staffers aren't lobbyists. They are not required to, to disclose who they work for. But by not directly advocating for federal dollars on behalf of their clients, they don't have to publicly divulge who's paying them. They avoid becoming registered lobbyists or foreign agents and are instead becoming strategic consultants. West Exec is loaded with former, with other former top Democratic national security and foreign policy officials who raised money for the Biden campaign, have joined his transition team, or have served as unofficial advisors. At least 21 of the 38 West Exec employees listed on the firm's website donated to the Biden campaign. Illinois alone raised more than $100,000. So it sounds like she's buying her way into the Defense Department. Five West Exec staffers, all veterans of the Obama administration, are on leave from the firm to help staff Biden's review teams for the Pentagon, the Treasury Department, the Council of Economic Advisors, and other agencies. Two other West Exec principals were among those who briefed Biden last week on national security. Meanwhile, Jen uh, Saki, a former White House communications director under President Barack Obama, who went on to work for West Exec, is now advising Biden's transition team. And two other former West Exec hands, Lisa Monaco and Julianne Smith, are considered potential Biden administration hires. Okay, guys, this isn't looking so good. Here's NBC News. Here is where it gets really sinister and sneaky. Uh, Here's NBC News. They actually reported on how these contracts were discovered because they're not easy to find. So thousands of contracts highlight quiet ties between big tech and the U.S. military. On Wednesday, this was just, um, this was actually in July. This was published in July. Okay. Uh, on Wednesday, newly published research from the Technology Accountability Nonprofit Tech, uh, nonprofit tech Inquiry revealed that, that the Department of Defense and federal law enforcement agencies, including Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the FBI, the Drug Enforcement Agency, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons, have secured thousands of deals with Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Dell, IBM, Hewlett-Packard, and even Facebook that have not been previously reported. 
The report offers a new window into the relationship between tech companies and the U.S. government, as well as an important detail about why such contracts are often difficult to find. It says the majority of the deals with consumer-facing tech companies involved subcontracts, a relationship in which the government contracts with one company, which then turns around and contracts with another company to complete obligations it doesn't have the resources to fill. So subcontract, so subcompanies were created, and they were the ones who got the defense contracts. But then they turned around and gave those contracts to the big tech companies. It's a way to sort of mask who's actually receiving the contracts. Often, the high-level contract description between tech companies and the military looks very vanilla and mundane. Paulson said in an interview, but only when you look at the details of the contract, which you can only get through the Freedom of Information Act. So you have to go and file and ask for these papers in order to even see any of this. He says, "Do you see the workings of how the customization from a tech company would actually be involved?" He says, "Out of all the companies that surfaced in tech inquiries research, Microsoft." Stood out with more than 5,000 subcontracts with the Department of Defense and various federal law enforcement agencies since 2016. Amazon has agreed to more than 350 subcontracts with the military and federal law enforcement agencies like ICE and the FBI since 2016. And Google has more than 250, according to Tech Inquiry's analysis. So, look, guys, big tech is the new military-industrial complex, and my greatest fear right now, after seeing what's going on, is that. The war on information is the new war on terror, and unfortunately, though the war on terror was large, it did also target Americans through things like the Patriot Act. The war on information is going to be more directly pointed at us. They're going to claim that they're using it for to stop the influence of Russia and China and all this misinformation coming from these other countries. But we've already seen them weaponize it against us. We've already seen them censor Americans. And that is what they're going to continue to do to keep their friends in power, to keep those lucrative contracts coming. And I don't know what we can do about it. Quite frankly, this is very scary. It is honestly the scariest thing I feel like I've reported on on this channel. Completely, this is the scariest thing. Without information, we are completely defenseless, guys. That's it. Without information, we're screwed. And if this war on misinformation and fake news continues, and they just willy-nilly, you know how they are, they're just censoring anyone that they say. Well, we're just labeling you as fake news. We don't really have any evidence as to why. We're not going to tell you. They don't have to tell you. Uh, they just say, yeah, we, we just think you are, and they shadow ban and they develop the algorithms and they. Uh, I mean, this this is very very scary, and I think we should all be very very aware. And I'm going to continue to sound the alarm on this over and over and over again. Now, before we get into the closing, I'd like to share a video with you from a team called Entheos. It's a ten-minute clip, and I believe that it's something that everyone should watch for what's to follow. On November one, two thousand sixteen, Hillary and Bill Clinton and their entourage of assistants affected a civilian coup. In contrast to the usual concept of a coup, where the military, White House, and communication centers, very much like the scenarios you see in a movie, this coup was done silently and very effectively through two methods: corruption and co-optation. The Clintons have been involved in co-opting our White House, our judiciary, our CIA, our Federal Bureau of Investigation, 
our Attorney General Loretta Lynch and our Director of the FBI, James Comey, for some time now. What they've done is to make sure that they were part and parcel of a group of people who were interrelated through political cronyism. However, in order to stop this coup, we in the intelligence community and others involved have informally gotten together and with their permission, I am beginning to announce that we've initiated a counter coup through Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. What has happened in effect when uh, Comey had to open up the case of Hillary Clinton and discuss the emails that were involved with the Anthony Weiner case, it was not the case itself that was as important as the fact that this was the entree for many of us in the counter coup to say to the administration, we have your number. Not only do we have your number, we're going to stop you from making Hillary the president of the United States. And at the same time, we will convict and indict the president of the United States, Loretta Lynch, and many others who were involved in the cover-up of the massive corruption that occurred under the Clinton Foundation. Now, in both cases, their coup was silent, and our counter-coup was silent, and it was all transgressed or occurred on the internet. And this is probably the first time in the history of any country where a coup was initiated on through the internet and a counter coup was initiated through the internet. I am just a small part of something far bigger than myself. It was the brave men and women who were in the FBI, the CIA, the director of intelligence, the uh, military intelligence and men and women in 15 other intelligence organizations who were sick and tired of seeing this corruption in the White House, in the Justice Department, and in the intelligence system. And we decided that there was something we had to do in order to save the Republic. So we initiated a counter coup through Julian Assange, who's been very brave and, and really quite formidable in his, in his ability to come forth and provide all the necessary emails that we gave to him in order to undermine Hillary and Bill Clinton. Again, America, we're going through a major, major transition and quite frankly, a second American revolution. We do not have guns, we do not have weapons, we do not intend to kill anybody, we do not intend to harm anybody. But we, the American public, and those of us who serve as veterans and in the intelligence service like myself, will stop the Clintons from assuming power that they don't deserve. At the same time, we will make certain that Obama leaves without any trail of a, uh, a pardon or any other act of treason. In effect, we want a peaceful transition in this great American republic. I bring you this news and I want you to understand what has happened. A moment of history is occurring right now in front of us and I'm proud to explain it to you.
within democracies, wars are a result of lies. And why one might think that that should lead us to a state of despair, it should lead us also to an optimistic understanding, because if wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. I don't know if any of you missed this, but it's quite an important sight to see. People don't pay attention to little things, but I'll tell you what. Very good people with very good intentions view the people as stupid. It's an oversimplification of a statement that I make. And many might say it's not universally accurate. And it's not a description of effective leadership. And, and the problem is, is that we are in the era of technology, the age of information, and therefore kinetic wars, and people familiar with kinetic wars, or that apply non-kinetic methods to kinetic wars, are not your specialists. It's the thinkers. However, you have to understand that this statement is actually very true. They recognize the impact of propaganda on the people. They know that propaganda influences uh, the people's opinion. They manipulate the public opinion. They misinform the public. And they acknowledge that individuals are influenced with biased media and political narratives and emotional messaging. Hence why they consider people stupid. And this is coming from good people, right? People that all of you adore and praise, but you must understand where they're coming from. You can see, okay, I get it. Because you have the knowledge of knowing how such weapons of mass destruction, such as psychological operations, have an impact in war, then that means that you understand that, yes, your own people are affected by this. Now, those are regular leaders, former kinetic leaders. But exceptional re leaders realize that in the long run, truth and transparency are essential, no matter how much chaos there is. Because chaos can be coordinated to bring order. That is how it is. It's an urovoros. They understand that people ultimately crave, crave this honest information, clear communication, and understanding of the reasons behind any decision. Hence, like issue one, right? And when leaders prioritize transparency, it builds trust and fosters informed citizenry and encourages more and more people to participate. But here's where we segue into what I've been saying, weaponization of truth, weaponization of information, weaponization of everything. Weaponization of partial truths is a cunning strategy employed by those seeking to maintain power or control over a situation or employed by those that are wishing to destruct and annihilate any power or control that organizations may have over a population. It involves selectively revealing only certain aspects of information while intentionally omitting or distorting other critical details. This tactic serves multiple purposes. It perpetuates confusion among the public and manipulates perception. And it often conceals the existence of hidden agendas, secret deals, or questionable actions. 
This combination of distortion and concealment creates an environment ripe for the perpetuation of tyranny. So let's break that down. How does it affect and manipulation? Well, weaponizing partial truths allow those in power to manipulate public opinion and perception. That's a fact. They can shape the narrative in a way that benefits their interests while disguising any harmful consequences or negative aspects. This man manipulation can sway public sentiment in favor of policies or actions that may not truly align with the public's best interests, like issue one in Ohio. Concealing deals. I'll tell you what, not a lot of people talk about the deal that Les Wexner cut with Bill Barr. Why was he given a deal? He was the head of the snake. He was the, the, the guy that created Epstein, that molded him, that gave him a blank checkbook that perpetuated his actions. Yet he got a deal. And people say, well, for the sake of the, you know, peace and everything, uh, you know, we should cut deals. We should do deals. No, we should not do deals. We should not do deals. Allow me to showcase another video before I tell you more on this. And it's, and it's disheartening uh, majority of times, but people need to really listen to what people that understand the dynamics of psychology and non-kinetic warfare and how weaponizing partial truths to create leaders or leaders in movements is perpetuating tyranny because a combination of confusion, manipulation, and concealed dealings plays a significant role in perpetuating tyranny. When people are kept in the dark and are unsure about the true intentions or actions of those in power, they become more vulnerable to manipulation and less likely to challenge the status quo. Hence why we see all these thirsty people running, you know, to, to, to kiss the ass of Republicans that have put them in the position they are, they are actually at. This allows tyranny to persist. Uncheck. As a well-informed and empowered public is essential for countering and preventing oppressive practices. Hi, this is Dr. Steve Pachanek. This is Steve Talks. Hi, I'm Dr. Pachenik, and I want to wish everyone out there a happy Father's Day, and I want to thank all of you for wishing me a happy Father's Day. Unfortunately, I want to begin with a sad story of uh, a very brave man and, and a group of Republicans who were just enjoying themselves on a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, and a crazed individual from Belleville, Illinois, came and shot a group of them. And thanks to the Capitol Police, he in turn, this gentleman, Hodgkinson, was killed. Now, let's talk a little bit about James Hodgkinson, who is well known by the Belleville, Illinois Police, has had a history of alcoholism, wife abuse, child abuse. But despite all of that, the police still allowed him to have a license to carry a rifle and a gun. Now, I support the NRA, I support the Second Amendment, but this is an example where a gentleman who had a history of mental illness or erratic behavior 
documented by the police in Belleville, Illinois, should never have had a license for a gun. Despite that fact, he traveled all the way by car, presumably, to Alexandria, Virginia, where he met with the mayor of Alexandria, Virginia, lived the life of a homeless individual at the YMCA, but was never, ever picked up by the Alexandria Police Department. Now, why do I find that unusual? I unfortunately had a quite a bad encounter with the Alexandria Police Department because they were so gung-ho and so incompetent that I was stopped at a TSA point in Dulles Airport where I had a concealed weapon, but I had a concealed weapons license. TSA allowed me to go through, but this incompetent female Alexandria uh, police officer had no idea what I was carrying, asked me to open it up. I showed it to her, and then she slapped me with a uh, felony one, although she had never seen a uh, switchblade knife in her, her life. I then had to go to the prosecutor and the judge, and they just you know, quacked away and did what they do normally, which is to be incompetent. Nevertheless, I went to the probation officer, explained my case, and after an hour and a half, she said to me, I should be the president of the United States. So in effect, I walked in as a first degree felon and walked out of my probation officer as the future president of the United States. The key here is that Scalise, Steve Scalise, was a very effective proponent of, of child trafficking and laws against child trafficking and against pedophilia. Whether this involves a concerted effort on the part of the deep state or whatever, whoever is involved, if that is the fact, then there will be major retribution for that particular case. In general, I hope the police find the individuals behind uh, Hodgkinson because he can't be the only one who did it or who was enabled to do this act. And I hope they get prosecuted. My best wishes go out to the Capitol Police, to Scalise and the other individuals who were hurt and injured. Now for a more serious note. Uh, the DNI General, Lieutenant General James Clapper, made an outlandish comment, and it was an inappropriate comment. For I want you guys to focus on this. This is really important. For an intelligence officer to make, particularly someone who spent over 34 years in the intelligence system. James Clapper claimed that whatever is happening now in the Trump administration, which I really don't really know, is far more serious than what happened under Watergate. Now, to me, that is absolutely absurd. Number one, Clapper was not involved in the Nixon administration. Number two, Clapper is not what we call a psychological analyst or in any way trained in sophisticated uh, concepts of psyops or political psychology or anything other than SIGINT. For the most part, he's been a loyal soldier and who served in Vietnam and then served accordingly up the ranks without any major problems, except for the fact that he lied in front of a Senate committee that was investigating uh, the NSA surveillance. He lied there was none and that was a felony. He then had a problem of conflict of duty when he was on the board of several Beltway bandits and he claimed that he wasn't really getting any remuneration. The point here is James Clapper has a serious problem and he should keep his mouth shut. 
Number one, I have been involved indirectly in the Watergate uh, problem. Number two, it was Kissinger that helped to get us out of that situation. Number three, the present situation with the Russians is nothing comparable to what it was with the Soviet Union. And number four, it would be a behoove James Clapper and others to understand what Russia is really like. The second individual who has a problem and was in the Defense Intelligence Agency is Michael Flynn. He had a high promise for a very uh, fruitful future. I personally thought he would go very far, but he didn't. I was disappointed. He didn't do well as a DIA director, and he didn't do well in the private life. He was sloppy, he was impulsive, and he claimed he was a good businessman, which he wasn't. In fact, he had served the Turkish government, the Russian government, and other intermediaries who were somewhat culpable and never, never was able to tell the truth in terms of what he had committed. In that case, I think Mike Flynn has to be set before the uh, Judicial Committee and interrogated for actions that he had committed, perhaps against the United States, certainly against our fi financial laws, and certainly against the laws of the fact that he did not sign up as an agent or a lobbyist for a foreign government. In finality, I want to just say the following. William Shakespeare said, when the father gives a gift to a daughter and a son, they both laugh. But when the daughter and the son give a gift to the father, they both cry. So I end that and say, Happy Father's Day. Hi, this is Dr. Steve Pachenik. This is Steve Talks. Now allow me to say a couple things before I close off with a reminder to many. We find ourselves in an era of censorship because we are in the age of information. And what we have is censorship from both sides, but one side says it's necessary because they don't wanna, wanna muddle up. It's pretty clear that certain individuals in power have been pulling the strings from behind the scenes for good and to try to create an illusion of helping people. I have studied Dr. Pachenik. I had read a lot of his papers when I was being trained. And the one thing I noticed is, wow, how did he ever work for the CIA knowing that he has morals, right? especially in the line of work he did. But I think the more dirty you get, when you can break bread with someone that is evil, you see that you are capable of that evil and decide to stop things. So it's, it's important for us to understand that. Now, there are many people that seek pure control. Good people plan to make the visible, the invisible enemy a dictatorship cloaking themselves in the shroud of helping and serving, what we're seeing today. And we see good people pandering to the fears of the people, but enslaving them with every single law made and right they would take away from the community for the love of money and perpetuating their positions in the new society that they wish to see. And this is for all your selected individuals right now. I go back to my argument that Ohio Constitution clearly said that those mandates were illegal. 
and yet no one in executive leadership that the GOP backs did anything. That the Supreme Court of Ohio refused to acknowledge. Your constitution is pretty much shit right now. But here's the deal. There were a bunch of good people like Pachenik that could foresee this with a lot of people, as he said, in many different intelligence agencies. Now, one attempt was to use the platform that Alex Jones had that seemed organic, but it's not. It was funded by Stratford. But sometimes you approach things that you know are broken, hoping that you can help see them to a path of mending and understanding how it must be done. There are good people that believe that the people are stupid, and that's warranted. I say the same thing. People are stupid. You know, people are. Because they believe everything they're being told. Well, these good people are also in seeking control because when an outsider comes in, destroying operations and scripts, they fear that maybe that is a counter effect to their plan. When in essence, it shows that the outsiders coming in are saying there should be no plan. It should be all about the people. There should be no fear because controller fear is in essence self-sabotaging their own plan by silencing and using the same tools that those that are dictators do. So unknown figures, outsiders seem to be coming in and rattling the cage of both those that are good and promote half-truths to maintain control and follow scripts and groupies and those of dictators, you know, these unknown people to many have decided that it was time to expose the truth, having walked in the actual trenches to wake the people up from their slumber. And they're doing it with a sledgehammer of truth rather than softly whispered half truths. We've been fed so long. But you know what? Those in those groups are also being met by severe resistance. Severe resistance and real opposition. Why? It's either about control or it's the cold, hard fear that their carefully crafted plan is unraveling. They're so afraid of this raw, unfiltered awakening as if it'll shatter their grand scheme. But here's the thing. They need to stop fearing it because it's not about them. Miracles change it's all part of a bigger picture a divine plan if you will and it's not under their control their desperation is showing as the very people that claim to support freedom are the very ones that are silencing those that are bringing the sledgehammer of truth they're trying to silence any voices of independence that don't toe the line as if anything deviating from their script is a threat but they need to realize by stifling real organic discussions. They're sabotaging themselves. They're risking losing this war for control that they supposedly didn't want. Freedom. True freedom. It's not a gift handed down by some benevolent ruler or just one person or a group of people that are, oh, 
white hats. No, it must be fought for, hard fought by a people who are awake, who are willing to see through the smoke and mirrors. If the people sit back waiting for the next script to be deployed, well, everyone's lost. So as one of those outsiders, I can say, there should be no deals. This force of liberation is showing the people the way, the divine plan to free people from the shackles of psychological manipulation. It's time to embrace it, to rise up, and to claim our freedom on our terms, not somebody else's. Don't conceal deals. Show the people where you really are at. Don't perpetuate the tyranny by a combination of confusion, manipulation, and concealed dealings, because that plays a significant role in perpetuating it, making everyone very vulnerable to the status quo. That is exactly it. That is where people need to stand on the side of the people and that they're more than capable of understanding and realizing what needs to be done. Now let's finish this documentary with an old video that was put together. It's quite fantastic and necessary for the people. Here you go. And over and over again. evidence, uh, which we will publish in due course, about uh, U.S. intelligence agencies interfering in elections. You are many. They are few. And so they are in full panic. If we actually read our constitution if we actually read the rights that we have been given if we actually know history hence why this report the 1776 report is so important just look at the table of contents let's look at the table of contents and think in retrospect what we have been doing together we've been talking about the role of family how we need to teach America, how we need to remind people of real history, the American mind and how we think and how important it is to understand laws. So this is the meaning of the declaration. I don't know if you guys have read this, but I'll read this portion out to you, which is incredible. The United States of America is in most respects a nation like any other. It embraces a people who inhabit a territory governed by laws administered by human beings. Like other countries, our country has borders, resources, industries, cities and towns, farms and factories, homes, schools, and houses of worship. And although relatively young country, 
Its people have a shared history of common struggle and achievement. From carving communities out of a vast, untamed wilderness, to winning independence and forming a new government, to wars, industrialization, waves of immigration, technological progress, and political change. In other respects, however, the United States is unusual. It's a republic. That is to say, its government was designed to be directed by the will of the people rather than the wishes of a single individual or a narrow class of elites. Republicanism is an ancient form of government, but one uncommon throughout history, in part because of its fragility, which has tended to make republics short-lived. Contemporary Americans tend to forget how historically rare republicanism has been, in part because of the success of republicanism in our time, which is derived in no small part from the very example and success of America. In two decisive respects, the United States of America is unique. First, it has a definite birthday, July 4th. 1776. Second, it declares from the moment of its founding, not merely the principles on which its new government will be based, it asserts those principles to be true and universal, applicable to all men and all times, as Lincoln said. Other nations may have birthdays. For instance, what would eventually evolve into the French Republic was born in 1789 when Parisians stormed a hated prison and launched the downfall of the French monarchy and its aristocratic regime. The People's Republic of China was born in 1949 when Mao Tung, Chinese Communist Party, defeated the nationalists in the Chinese Civil War. But France and China as nations, as peoples and cultures inhabiting specific territories, stretch back centuries, even millennia over the course of many governments. There was no United States before July 4th, 1776. There was not yet, formally speaking, an American people. There were, instead, living in the 13 British colonies in North America, some two and a half million subjects of a distant king. Those subjects became a people by declaring themselves such. And then by winning the independence, they had asserted as their right. They made that assertion on the basis of principle, not blood or kinship, or what we might call today ethnicity. Yet this fact must be properly understood, as John, John Jay explained in Federalist Two. Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people. A people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs. And who by their joint councils, arms and efforts, fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have nobly established general liberty and independence. Yet as Jay and all the founders well knew, the newly formed American people were not quite as homogenous in ancestry, language, or religion 
as this statement would seem to assert. They were neither wholly English or wholly Protestant nor wholly Christian. Some other basis would have to be found and asserted to bind the new people together to which they would remain attached if they were to remain a people. That basis was the assertion of universal and eternal principles of justice and political legitimacy. But this too must be qualified. Let me pause here for a second because this is one of the most important sections of this document. How many times have I said throughout my time speaking to you with my voice that the United States of America is a people that are united under one flag and the principles of this nation and nothing else. It's not hot dogs. It's not popcorn, Cracker Jack. It's not ball games. It's not football. It's not soccer. It's not the Great Wall. It's not a pyramid. It's not a monument. It is one flag. And what that flag stood for Unity built as one. This is what's important for people to understand. This document is telling you what we've been talking about for a very long time. Every other nation has eons of history together. Every other nation has many battles, many wars, empires that have risen and fallen. But America is an infant. And we were united under one flag that stood for principles of liberty and justice for all. That is basically how we were formed. Jay stated all these things, but it wasn't sufficient. This portion of this document is one of the most important ones. It is one of the most amazing reports ever to be created by an administration ever. The royal family, I told you, was destroyed with the creation of Social Security. Our students have been poisoned. Do not have pride in what the founding principles and why this nation was created in the first place. They're telling you why it was all wrong. Yes, the king deployed people to conquer, to kill, to plunder, just like every other empire does. But it was those that believed in independence of the people. It was that little piece of good that built this nation. Not your typical plummet, you know, just rampant takeover of property and wars. Every nation that has been created, has been created upon a war. Borders are drawn and redrawn throughout history with blood spilt. Now going to the reverence for the laws. We spoke about this yesterday and how important it is that you understand that there is no law of this land that cannot be made if you so request it. 
There are procedures and we forfeit some of those rights to those that we elect to do our bidding. When they do not do our bidding, we have every right to remove them. This is something people need to understand. This is something people need to adhere to. And remember, the whole world is at war with us. They are praising foreign organizations as leaders and flagships to how we move forward in the future. If it's down to the wire at any time, I would say this is about that time. This is what you should be thinking of right now. This is why it's important, excuse me, to understand where your limits are what you are willing to do for your nation because it is your backyard and it's not so much oh i'm gonna grab my weapon and go that's not it's 2021 it's unnecessary the sharpest weapon you have in your arsenal is prayer that's something they cannot take away from you and how you resonate. If you believe that you are defeated, you are already defeated. If you believe that the end of the world is here, it is already here. If you believe anything, it comes to realization. We are the most powerful force to be reckoned with. They fear you more than you can even imagine. They fear you. Because once you realize how much power you yield, they know that their days are numbered. The army of people fighting for this nation is massive and we do not even have to fire a shot. We do not have to make a cut. We do not have to even spill one drop of blood because we make the laws we pay the taxes we dictate everything therefore why do we need to take arms <laughs> the biggest arms that we take is yielding the power that we have now what the heck is in this fresh devilish it's not even letting me finish it that's interesting it's a good thing it's on texanon's website but let's try this one more time here, it is already here. If you believe anything, it comes to realization. We are the most powerful force to be reckoned with. They fear you more than you can even imagine. They fear you. Because once you realize how much power you yield, they know that their days are numbered. The army of people fighting for this nation is massive and we do not even have to fire a shot. We do not have to make a cut. We do not have to even spill one drop of blood because we make the laws. 
We pay the taxes. We dictate everything. Therefore, why do we need to take arms? <laughs> the biggest arms that we take is yielding the power that we have. We do not have to operate the way they believe we should operate. We operate with the power that was, in, was vested in us from the minute you were born into this nation. You are a leader and that's the way it is. They are nothing. They have no power over you. You are the one that yields the power. And they understand that and that terrifies them. Beyond belief, it terrifies them and it should. Because their days are numbered. And when you realize just how powerful you are, man, the world is gonna be on fire. Let's get some coffee quickly. Republic. I like the sound of the word. It means people can live free, talk free, go or come, buy or sell, be drunk or sober, however they choose. Some words give you a feeling. Republic is one of those words that makes me tighten the throat. Same tightness a man gets when his baby takes his first step or his first baby shaves and makes his first sound like a man. Some words can give you a feeling that make your heart warm. Republic is one of those words. I have, I believe, learned two things about you. Worthwhile, I hope. You're not the illiterate country bumpkin you would have people believe. You speak an excellent and concise English when you wish. The uh, bad grammar is a pose. Well, a fella has to do a lot of things to get elected to Congress. I've kissed many a baby, too. The other is that you came to Texas to fight with us. Don't tell my Tennesseans that. They think we came south to hunt and get drunk. They uh, seem to have accomplished that. So that oration, oops. So that oration in that video that Texanon created was from 2021. I want everyone to just revisit that. There are going to be people you're going to see held accountable. There are, but the slowness of everything happening is because there are people with good intentions that just believe people are too stupid for the truth 
too chaotic, too rabbit holy. And they know because that's what they do to you. Brian Cates came out and said, well, we knew we just didn't. Shut up. You know how many of you said, well, you know, we voted for Trump because everyone hated him. Well, that's what you need to focus on because your gut tells you everything you need. I mean, people claim it's their America and that they need to fight for the freedom, but yet they're using the same tools that those that oppress you are using. But they're good people, so you should trust them. You see how that works? This is why they fail. It's 2023. Everybody has a different set of ears and eyes right now. For those of you that want to go through all the little details on Brennan, because there were a lot of nuggets in there. Well, it's available on locals for those that are annual subs, because you get access to everything. I put some crazy ass one-time prices, you know, because some people do want the data. Those that have figured it out will pay a high price to get those emails. It's important for us when you see censorship, either from the left or the right, if a lefty is being censored, speak up for them. If a right, for a right wing person is being censored, speak up for them. Because America was not about right or left. It was about meeting in the middle and serving all equally. Regardless of how crazy somebody might sound, we all need a little bit of crazy. I mean, the Wright brothers were crazy, right? Tesla was crazy, right? Oh, he created the, the stomp machine, you know, the earthquake thing. But they, well, that's another story. They were all crazy, weren't they? Watson and Crick, crazy. So we do need a little crazy in the midst. So don't discount one's far extreme views as something you need to silence. Instead, listen and see where that crazy view came from and why, because it may serve your benefit. One thing that the left always panders is, well, never leave a good crisis to waste. Well, never leave a good crazy to waste either. We need the liberals to be balanced with the conservatives. That's how we have innovation and stability. Pan metron ariston. Everything in moderation. When you're too extreme right, you're too extreme. When you're too extreme left, too extreme. That's where people need to be focusing on. A good middle balance. Until then... I'll just be like Wreck-It Ralph. And until then, we're going to have to be patient to win. Because unfortunately, those that come to you, because the Satan's not going to come to you. Shaitan will never come to you. Evil will never come to you. Controllers will never come to you and tell you, I want to enslave you my way. Because I want to enrich myself and my family. So listen to me. They will never tell you that. They will tell you, oh, you hate abortion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Join me. We're going to do this. You hate this? Come to me. Why you? Why not you give me the tools to do it myself? No, no, no. Because I'm a leader. Listen to me. Pay attention. There's one representative right now in our nation that stands tall as a representation of all the, the, the fears we want to eliminate, the rules we want to enforce, and the sovereignty of this nation that we so dearly crave, that we have lost for decades. And that's President Trump. Those in his circle, some are just like you and I. Others 
are those that claim that they need to control the message, the ones that are pushing the Republican Party, the ones that are pushing their little agendas. The bottom line is we need to be focusing only on elections because that is how you fix everything, the right to voice your, your thoughts and more so read the First Amendment to, to redress your grievances. Apparently, you're not allowed to. You're America. God bless. I'll be on the move starting tomorrow, so no shows. Cause our words have hurt your feelings And we're sorry we can't hear you over the sound of our freedom Y'all been filling up our classrooms with drag queens for kids We think it's not appropriate, you tell us that it is The complexities of gender and children won't ever mix When there's school shootings by women whose pronouns are him, his I'm not Republican, but keep it a hundred, they making sense The most destructive ideologies are coming from the left I think black lives matter, they think white lives matter less And LGBTQ turned into WTF Dear Democrats, I don't have nothing against the liberal but the people representing you are communists and criminals They've been starting World War III We shipping missiles still They don't want America great They want it miserable You can try to burn down the city Scream at the top of your lungs till you're dizzy You can cancel everything and everybody in it But it's not your America You can burn the flag, get aggressive You can wear a mask and pretend you're progressive I got my first amendment, don't forget I got the second It's not your America I'm hearing words I never heard in life Kids go to school to learn Never make it back home, they get murdered like Who's concerned, not the left or the right Hope you ready for the fight Coming to your front door tonight The former president got arrested The current one lost, but I guess he got elected Kids get molested Pedophiles all get protected And you can kill a baby anytime if you're pregnant People so weak, feel free to take a knee And you can't even speak, God forbid you disagree I don't even know what virtual signaling means young men used to fight war